Hello, hello. Welcome to the Cannabis Closet Podcast, everybody. I'm Farah, Canna Queen DGO. This is May. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for joining us today. It's a really uh, special conversation we're having today. We're going to have guests today. I'm pretty excited. Guest panel. It's our next new first uh, you know, set of firsts. And um, so all new set of nerves for me today. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's clear up those nerves and get some of that house stuff out of the way. Let's do some house cleaning a little bit uh, and talk about what we need to uh, make everybody aware of. So um, let's start with the raffle, right? Uh, so we're having a raffle right now. Uh, we have a Focus B Carta is part of the prize pack, and there's uh, resin art made by yours truly, which includes rolling trays, ashtrays, and all kinds of cool accessories uh, for smoking. And uh, we have also Canna Queen DGO apparel along with Cannabis Closet apparel, which, side wow. note, we're going to get your help creating. Um <laughs> The entry for the uh, for the raffle is twenty five dollars a ticket, uh, and you can purchase a ticket on our Cash App, which is dollar sign Canvas Closet four twenty, or on our PayPal, which is Canvas Closet four twenty at gmail.com. So yeah, and purchase as many of those as you would like. Yep. For every $25, you get an entry, and uh, we have a little, I got my little spreadsheets going, and uh, Farrah's going to get those keys made, and uh, for your entry, you definitely um, get one of our little cannabis closet keys um, as a thank you, and um, and then, you know, as many entries as you get, and, um, you know, increase your odds. Increase to, your odds. Uh, awesome. Yes. We want to roll that into, uh, um, yeah, there you go, um, <laughs> into the Cannabis Closet uh, Art Contest. So Cannabis Closet Apparel, uh, that means that we're, we're, we're still struggling to get some things done. Just as we're focusing on other things, we realize we need a logo. We need, um, you know, we have some other things we want to get done so that we can create some fun, uh, you know, fun products. Um, so we're going to have an art contest. Uh, we know that maybe not all artists like to oh, give the free for props thing, um, but we are also doing this uh, for free out of our pocket and with the generous donations that have already come in um, until we can find sponsorship or uh, someone, you know, just uh, again, our generous can, you know, followers. So if you are an artist, if you uh, want to throw any ideas our way, we're looking for logo ideas that go along and really speak to uh, what we're doing. Cannabis closet um, logos, illustrations. Uh, we, you know, if you uh, have seen uh, Farah's Canna Queen um, apparel and amazing, <laughs> yeah, uh, the artist that. Girl has been hella busy so we haven't been able to uh, get him to my caricature with my doggo and so uh yeah so we like that we like fun stuff and uh we are making a call out to artists to um you know send us your ideas uh the winner will do a little prize pack of course the props come out um at, at any time and every time that we're uh, using uh your art and um you know of course our ever 
loving gratitude for your assistance. Ever loving gratitude. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to, uh, if you guys, uh, uh, sorry, we do an advertisement also for my smoke years. So if you guys are interested in bowls or um, grinders, you can check out my smoke gear slash ref ref slash can of queen dgo and that'll take you to the link and you can purchase a new grinder a new bowl we got new apparel coming soon on that website as well so check it out and is that all of our housekeeping so other than the mention of our platforms um you know someone definitely let us know hey show your show your platform so yeah, um, we are the Cannabis Closet. We're on YouTube, the WeTube. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitch, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, Ferris still has yet to get me onto a, a TikTok. I'm going. I'm trying. So uh, again, <laughs> we're on some new platforms too. Actually, we just got uh, picked up on Spotify and on Google Podcasts as well. So you can check us out there as well. Doing doing good things. We're we're trying to get over to uh, to iTunes as soon as possible, and we'll let you know when we're there. Uh, we can see your comments. So if you have any commentary, uh, please be respectful. This is going to be a very important topic, uh, but it's going to get uncomfortable from time to time. So be prepared for that. But please remain respectful. Uh, and with that, what is next on our list? Oh, the can of headlines. Headlines. What we got um, for headlines today? You know... Do you have the headlines today? We we were so caught up in our uh, in our uh, making sure we knew the statistics that uh, that we may maybe didn't get some of the more uh, recent headlines. But let's talk about those statistics then. Yeah, absolutely. We'll move on. Moving on forward. Um, do we want to go ahead and bring Jason in? Uh, you know, he's he's got he's he's got some numbers and some uh, great information. I think too that will kind of roll into. Uh, you know, uh, our, what our broadcast is about today. Um, Jason Mitchell, uh, he's a co-founder of Soulful Cannabis. I met this man, uh, gosh, how many years has it been now? Seven or eight since I've been uh, doing clinics in Colorado and met you at the facility. Oh, do we have volume? Oh, oh he's muted. Yes. There you All go. right, got it fixed now. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. yes. Great. Yeah, uh, at least eight years. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been a quick decade. You know, uh, I've been in this legal industry and been a patient registered in the state of Colorado for since 2009. Um, so I'm sure I met you there soon after. Um, and I met Farah in the rounds. You know, uh, I had the chance to open a, a dispensary on the East Coast and, and wanted to educate my staff. And met Farah in that context, and really I I like introduced the two of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you. Yes. Yeah, you were the reason he came to the class. You were like, "Go yeah. check out her class. She's going to be in Philadelphia." And and from that day forward, I realized that she really is one of the leading uh, educators, uh, you know, in the state, in, in the country, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to cannabis. And Thank so. You. Agreed. I'm grateful to know both of you in this context when it comes to an advocacy world and, and what we're doing, uh, trying to make, you know, make the industry better these days. And so we've, we formed this nonprofit and I've had a lot of really good success uh, personally and professionally through the plant. And 
and want to, you know, move forward on, and make the entire industry a better reflection of what I think we are in the, in the culture of the industry. So right. glad to be here. Yes. Um, thank you for joining us and thank, thank you, you for, for being so, uh, you came to us when you knew we were going to talk about this and we really ap appreciate your interest in wanting to be a part of this. And, and I mean, that's why we had to bring you on for as a co-host because um, your voice is also very important. Um, can we speak to your experience a little bit? I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but um, can we speak a little bit to your experience since you mentioned it as a minority stakeholder for the license? Sure. Um, you know, again, my advocacy kind of started in a place where I, I, I looked around and, and try to figure out how we could uh, have a better minority presence in this industry that wasn't that that I wasn't seeing, you know. Um, and so I, I plugged in and looked at going back to Pennsylvania and handling uh, some visits to Harrisburg and figuring out how to how to do that. And so started advocacy at the legislative process and worked my way through advocacy all the way to ownership where I was given an opportunity to hold uh, a minority um, percentage in a company mm -hmm. uh, based on the fact that I had, you know, a decade's worth of operational experience legally in the industry, as well as that I was a person of color uh, that would bring um, bonus points to the application process in that particular state. Mm -hmm. So I was a highly valued asset in the pre-application process as a minority oper operations specialist. Um, and when all was said and done, if you don't legislate, and I learned this the hard way, if you don't legislate teeth into uh, supporting those minority applicants and those minority values, then what, what tends to happen, and, and in my case, once the application is won and the minorities aren't necessarily needed in the room anymore, they uh, can find a way to remove you and not pay any penalty for it or not lose that license that they garnered or whatever. So my experience was that, was that I was obviously brought into a situation because of my value as a minority and as operational experience. And without having uh, legal knowledge, without having um, a lot of support outside the industry, uh, I put myself in a position, I know operating agreements or any of the legal safety nets you can have. Um, and, and, you know, I was taken advantage of. And this is something that I've seen happen repeated state after state after state is they put uh, minorities in a position where they can be included in an application, but then just as easily after application award will be excluded. So right. we really have to do better at legislating support and repercussion for uh, the the social equity side of things when it comes to our industry. Agreed. Agreed. That is a perfect segue into what we're talking about. Can you, are you muted over there? I am. I muted myself because <laughs> was um, making 
just some wonderful noises that I didn't think our um, yeah. panel would wanted to hear. Yeah. Definitely you know, used for their better. You know, and so <laughs> she went outside. Um, so yeah, so that's why we're having this, uh, you know, today's episode um, with, with the issue of social equity, the social equity issue. We are, um, we're going to talk about the lip service that uh, we hear, the um, words that are said, but the follow-up that isn't um, done, or the, um, there's no one, you know, once this legislation is talked about or these things are put into place, there's no one um, following up. Following up, making sure that's happening, accountable. Um, yeah, yeah. So as we go, um, as we're entering these new markets, uh, or as the new markets open up into uh, different states and such, it's like it's here. We've got to talk about it, and those that do want to be involved need to hear the experiences that you guys are going to talk about today, and um, you know, try to move their um, their conversations forward in their own communities and states. So. You've got to be a part of that if you want to, you know, uh, yeah. We so, can give some, some good examples of, of what is working in, in, in the country, right. uh, in the industry. There aren't, there aren't many, I got to be honest, from where I sit as a black man in the cannabis industry, wanting more ownership and participation at high levels for minorities, marginalized or over-policed communities. I'm, I, there's not a whole lot of positive examples of what has been instituted. We hear a lot of, like Megan said, lip service, yeah. uh, using the word social equity and reaching out to these communities, but we're not seeing a lot of effective action. There are some good examples in California. Illinois is coming online with some good funded examples. So well, we have some I, conversation I, about Illinois, actually. We have that on our agenda today for sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about real quick the statistics. Um, the Leafly uh, Leafly does a jobs report every every year, and um, we we do not have a jobs report from the federal government because we are not uh, federally a legal industry, and so there's no numbers from the federal government on this. But Leafly does uh, does a, a jobs report every year, um, so there uh, few states keep. Publicly available data on racial or gender diversity is the first thing that we should know. So there's not a whole lot of data on that throughout the states. But from what we can see, uh, organizations, inclusive bases include about 500 black owned businesses. And while black Americans represent 13 percent of the national population, they only represent about 1.2 to 1.7 percent of all cannabis company owners. Uh, nationwide. So this is a national problem. Um, and a lot of it has to do with socioeconomic uh, issues and, and, and just not things not being attainable. Uh, part of the job report includes median family incomes in America. And so if we look at the median family income in America, uh, white Americans are making $171,000 while in most uh, Black American families, it's $17,150, one, $150. So that's, that's a huge disparity to start. And then in most of the states, there's this giant bill that comes with owning a cannabis business. You cannot get in without having a large amount of money or somebody to back you with a large amount of money. So... These are some of the problems that we see 
And this is what we're going to talk about today uh, with our guests that we're going to be bringing on here in just a few minutes. I just want to say um, when we start this conversation that a lot of times we have these discussions about why we can't hear each other or why we haven't heard each other. And uh, I was reading this Twitter thread for what it's worth. I was reading this Twitter thread and it talks about how uh, white culture communicates. And the way that white culture communicates is by avoiding really the real topics. So we don't have real conversations. We don't talk about politics at the dinner table kind of thing, right? So we avoid all of those real conversations. It's not a part of our culture. And then that home life leaks into our professional life. So then we avoid these conversations in professional life too. And we just have to unlearn that behavior because it's not an excuse to not have these conversations. So yeah. Uh, you want to get into it? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, I just, you, you gave some really pertinent information that I want to maybe throw some definitions out there for. As we get into this conversation, you're going to hear a lot of people coming from a very personal perspective. And, and I want to set some context for some of this, right? Like, because you had said, you know, the black population in this country is 13% of the overall population. And yet the ownership in the cannabis industry is 1.3%. It doesn't and matter. That's, and that's well so that's that's not just a cannabis issue as an american society we see that same transition if you were to look at the fortune 500 if you were to look at ownership across the board in this country uh blacks especially uh, people of color minorities have not been given the opportunity for ownership it's not that they choose not to own it's it's been created that way so uh, you know, I, I want that to be understood. I was doing some research as well. We talk about over-policing or marginalized or what's the need for social equity, right? Like, how, how do we get to this point? And it's that, it's that there's a certain group of people that have been afforded the privilege of not being prosecuted for cannabis use at the level that all others have been. And so, like, in a state like Missouri, I, I did some research, and there are still today, in 2019, the ACLU says there are four counties that a, a person of color is 10 times more likely to be pulled over, arrested, and charged for cannabis possession than a white person in that state. And we know in the country, it's over three times more likely across the board in the entire country that people of color are more likely to be contacted, arrested, and charged and convicted of low-level uh, plant crimes, cannabis crimes, uh, than white people are, and, and, they're, and they're used at the same rate. So that, those are, that's what we have to understand for context, why social equity, why, why moving some of these people forward is a necessity if they've been targeted so hard and so aggressively for so long on the other side. Are we I was muted. I'm doing it too. See, uh, let's bring our guests in to start talking about this in more depth. Uh, do you want to start introductions, May, and I'll start bringing people in? Um, yeah, I can do that. I kind of put everyone into an alphabetical order. So, um, on my list, um, 
So I've got Brennan England uh, first. Not He's quite alphabetical. <laughs> Where's the problem? Oh, oh, first name. I'm sorry. First name <laughs> alphabetical. Uh, not, first name starts with not an A. a. So Brennan is first. No, Abramo would still be first. Anyways, we're going to bring Brennan in first. I am so sorry, Abrama. I didn't have your bio in my where I was thinking, and I didn't post it. We'll bring her in, too, because she was supposed to be first. Let's bring this queen in here. Yes. Um, I don't have your information in front of me. So fair enough. I know your information. Abrama Keys is the founder of We Can. And also she is, am I right, executive director of the Greater St. Louis Chapter of Normal? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Can you tell us a little bit about what We Can does and um, and a little bit about yourself? Just a little. Um, so I am the executive director of the St. Louis chapter of Normal. Um, I also have We Can, which is a business that works to build um, connections within the community and educate the community um, through events, through educational um, events, through partnerships with different businesses in the community. Um, so both of those are really exciting. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for being here today to have this discussion with us. And we have uh, Brennan as well. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You're the owner of the Cola Lounge, which I've been to. I loved it so much. It's amazing there. Tell us all about you. Are you there? Are you muted? Brennan had sent a message earlier. Maybe we want to move on and bring him okay. in last. He had sent a message earlier, said he might have some signal issues for the signal next 15 years. Okay, so then uh, who are we bringing in next, Megan? Next is uh, Chris Smith and Christina Frommer um, from the Canna Convict Project. Hey, guys. Hi. How are you doing tonight? Thanks for having us on your show. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do with the Canna Convict Project? Yes, yes. So we are trying to get our nonviolent cannabis POWs out of prison and assist them with their re-entry process, um, as well as we've picked up a bunch of little projects along the way as we've evolved as a group and an organization, such as court support um, and uh, police training and just a slew of other little niche areas that um, we felt we could assist and help the community address and raise awareness. Awesome, thank you. I think right. you're hey, I am, uh, I am here, sorry guys, I set my phone down and I'm using this new wireless headset <laughs> and I didn't know how to unmute myself. What's going on, Brendan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay, do I have good signal right now? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. You wanna okay, go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Brennan England. Um, I am the founder of the St. Louis Cannabis Club and the Cola Private Lounge, where buds meet. Um, the St. Louis Cannabis Club is a member-driven resource network of cannabis-based experiences uh, focused in wellness, education, and entertainment, uh, connecting the existing cannabis culture with the oncoming and arising cannabis industry. Um, in a really authentic, uh, safe, and enjoyable way so that cannabis culture can make its way comfortably into uh, Missouri 
in a way that's good for all of us. You know, it's, it's very topical and what our what the mission of this conversation is is also very in line with the mission of my of my membership platform, which is you know keeping uh, keeping the cannabis industry held accountable uh, to be authentic and ethical while also being asked because that's what cannabis is. Uh, so the first place to have events like that is the Cola Private Lounge. It's the first consumption lounge in Missouri. Um, and we are, as much as we are an entertainment space, we're definitely much more an education space. Uh, we teach people about safe and enjoyable consumption, whether it be through concentrates or flour, rolling or hitting glass for the first time. Uh, and then we also have a kitchen where we show people how they can take everything from bud to butter to brownie, uh, through our, with our infusion quit equipment, we teach them how to decarb. Uh, so, you know, we're really just setting ourselves up as an intersection uh, to create the right type of hand on the pulse, uh, real cannabis culture that we need here and that we already have here in Missouri. And we just got to let these corporations and these businesses know this is our first. Yeah, I love that. I love the Cola Lounge That's too. Just cool. a quick shout out. And uh, Corinne? is next is that correct Am I Don, doing Don right? is next up in the first name abc order <laughs> Don, <laughs> uh, is Don here oh don's here i i saw she popped out we'll bring her we'll bring all three of y'all on we'll bring y'all on there we go we got everybody Don, tell us a little bit about yourself hi everybody i'm dawn abernathy or better known as dawn the cannabis advocate um i'm st louis based but midwest um love <laughs> So I worked in the Illinois market before Missouri went full-fledged entire program. I help patients with the entire process of getting legal in the state of Missouri and Illinois. Um, as a cannabis advocate and patient advocate, I help patients one-on-one -on -one or in groups or whatever format they need um, to really be able to navigate their health care and incorporate plant medicine and being empowered in how to speak to their doctors and their loved ones about the plant. Be it a patient, be it a loved one, a caregiver, you know, the whole gamut. I've done it all. Um, I also am a partner with Flirvert Academy. So my awesome business partner, Marnay Madison, um, and I uh, work together to provide the certification process. The Academy also provides education, um, classes, resources to get your, your tents, your, your equipment, all that stuff. Because our goal is to give you and our community self-sufficiency. Um, my grandmother garden on the north side of St. Louis, and we need to get back to that. So I'm happy to be able to do um, the, the work with that awesome lady right there to help people be able to do that. <laughs> well, I know that we were going in alphabetical order, but since you brought her up, Marnay, please introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself and your academy. And you're muted right now, too, hon. <laughs> right. I hope you guys can hear me. I think I have better service over here. Let me know if it gets too choppy. Um, but yes, yeah, so I am the founder and the owner of Fleur Vert Academy, which in French means green flower for everyone. It's like, where is this crazy name? You know, I love um, it. knows the origin of St. Louis City. We know that we are of heavy French expansion and um, history. I love, my name is actually French. I'm named after a river in France. So I just um, love advocating for the community in St. Louis in cannabis, especially the minority community. Um, I started this journey wanting to own a dispensary. I definitely, I definitely um, understand with Jason saying, you know, being that heavily sought out black person for every company and brand and owner um definitely had those emotional roller coasters and i am 
now here to change the trajectory um, in cannabis for Blacks. And Corinne Spinks Chester, you want to introduce yourself for us as well? Sure. Um, I'm Corinne Spinks Chester. I have been working in cannabis advocacy since 2016. I worked on the Amendment 2 campaign as the outreach coordinator, and um, I I was the executive director of Greater St. Louis Normal right before Abrama was. And so I've been a patient advocate for a while and I have an event company called Midwest Canna Expos. We do an industry trade show uh, every year here in St. Louis. And, um, and we also do brand representation, product demo events. Um, so that's who I am. Well, awesome. welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you all. I'm so blessed and, and feel so honored to be on, on a, a screen staged presence with all of you. I, I have so much love and respect for each one of you as individuals. So thank you for being here today. Um, I would actually like, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Sorry, I'm just jumping right into business. I would actually like to start the conversation with a quote from one of our panelists. And so, Marnay, I'm putting you on the spot, babe. Here we go. Uh, so this is a recent quote. She was in. Uh, she was uh, interviewed with uh, Leafly. I believe this article was out of the Leafly article that you were interviewed for. Uh, is real equality possible for Black people in cannabis? That's the question I ask myself daily, as I see so many organizations campaign for social equity in cannabis. Many of the social equity programs across the country are failing us. And I want to talk about that. So there are social equity programs written into a majority, if not all of the regulations in cannabis in every state. Uh, just to remind our audience, these are state regulated programs. It's not a federally regulated program. So each state does things a little bit differently. But how are the social equity programs that are written into these laws meant to protect certain communities from being left out of this whole process of this green rush. How are those laws failing us? Can you speak a little bit more to that, Marnay? Yes, for sure. Um, I will first say that a lot of legislation does not have social equity um, tiers or implementation written inside of the legislation. So that definitely isn't transparent across a majority of the states that are recreational and medicinal. And that seems to be the problem is that as advocates and um, activists for the cannabis industry, we all are starting to create other narratives that are specifically geared towards our community and that industry. Um, here in Missouri, we do not have a social equity program. Um, we did have a verbiage of legislation that basically um, gave percentage or promise zone um, extra points for those that are in different urban communities, um, those that partnered up with those urban um, residents. And just as Jason stated, partnering with those residents and then not giving them a job after they have one license is something that we have seen right across the board. And um, I know one of our panelists, you know, can vouch for that. Um, definitely want to get into that particular point a little later in the show. But just knowing that we can no longer even trust those that start off as our allies when we go into that um, 
application phase. Everyone's your friend. Everyone wants to know, you know, how enthused, enthused you are about cannabis and how you can help only to create this magical team and application and then forget about you when they win. Right. Yes, it is. It is certainly a different environment. Um, Pre-awardal, post-awardal in the application world for minorities when looking at it from the outside in uh, at the cannabis industry. And, and you know, uh, I would say that we have painfully learned and are learning. And please, anybody jump in and, and correct me. Uh, today, New Jersey uh, took another step towards uh, adult use. And again, with no real viable um, program directed at the, the communities that were most affected by the wars on drug, the war on drugs and these marginalized communities. So we're still allowing this legislation to move forward without having any real teeth to mandate um, reinvestment into those communities they, they've hit so hard, right? Yes. So we talked about mentioning social equity or there being uh, points set aside for having minorities on an application. That's hardly scratching the surface. We'll get deeper into it. You know, Oakland is doing a great job at looking at financial education and funding workforce education and funding uh, the building of a better community to build up, to create a better business model in that community. But first we have to invest the money. So from my perspective, you know, I don't want to call it reparations, but there are chunks of money and chunks of these licenses that should just be dedicated to the people who were most affected by. And that's the least we could do to start. Yeah. And well, a lot of these social equity laws have these loopholes. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I was listening uh, on Clubhouse the other day. It's a great uh, networking app. I definitely recommend it. If you can get an invite, accept it. Um, let's shout out there. They did not pay me for that. Uh, it is but, exclusionary, though. It is. It's iPhone only right now, but they are working on getting it for uh, for the other platforms as well. But yeah. I will say I was in a room listening the other day, which is also a huge benefit of Clubhouse is that you can sit back and listen. Uh, I was li listening in a room the other day, uh, a bunch of advocates having a similar conversation about this. And in Michigan, uh, apparently, and again, I haven't read, the, read it myself. Uh, but there, the social equity law has such a huge loophole that somebody like Donald Trump would qualify as a social equity applicant. Um, additionally, in um, in Michigan, as from December, uh, people interested in having ownership of a license in recreational business, only 3.8% were Black, 1.5% were Latino, and white people accounted for 79% of the interest. And I think it's because we're not speaking to other communities and we're not making it accessible to other communities either. And there's also still this big, huge stigma attached to it. So we need that education piece as in, well. In that community. You have in the, have exactly, a, directly in that community. In both the black and brown communities, the plant has been used as a negative tool and a, a destructive uh, 
entity in, in that community and in the family, right? So how can you expect it's had such a, a, a lesser impact in the white community as a right. whole? Johnny hasn't missed college because he got a couple of joints. Or he got, you know, but right. a black athlete get caught with an ounce and his future's done forever. And so we start to realize this this difference. And, and you're right, it starts with education in our own communities. We have to go into the black community and remind them that they were the farmers, that everybody was growing this medicine out back. Uh, black, white, indigenous taught us how to do it. I mean, you know. Right. When prohibition first started, we know that it all you know existed in the first place to to shut down different races. Uh, you know, the black jazz community and here in Kansas, and Vine, you know, that was the predominant cannabis area. It was ninety nine percent, you know, black community, uh, and they really wanted to shut that community down. And so, thus, you know, Harry Anslinger and you know a bunch of other people in government who couldn't have affecting different industries and whatnot, but it was really against uh, blacks and in Mexicans. And, you know, that's why it was so derogatory about it. And so that's why we're here today. Yeah, definitely. Another thing I want to add to that, too, as far as um, and that is solid, Jacob. You know, it's like a lot of people don't know that that's a lot down at the found the grounds of the arch here in St. Louis. That, that was actually part of the project to build the arch was to destroy a very, like part of it was industrial, but part of it was a very intersectional, uh, thriving uh multiracial community of people that were coming together and intersecting through things like jazz music, cannabis use, and performance arts, uh, where the arch stands now. So it's kind of dark history to that. Um, something else that I wanted to add as far as uh, what we're talking about with educating the black community, uh, recently there was a lot of poll there was polling done in Missouri uh, proposing uh, the opportunity for micro licenses. Um, and when the black community is polled compared to the white community, uh, black community is polling much lower approving micro licenses because they don't trust the program. Uh, because to them, they feel like it's uh, like they're being given a B grade opportunity to get into the industry. Um, and this is an, this micro licensing alone could be a whole conversation. I have my own perspective on it. But uh, whenever you look at how strategies are being played out in oversaturated markets in, in BC and in Canada. Um, boutique, boutique flower is a very uh, profitable business and for many people, it's gonna be the only lane that they have to actually get in. And it's gonna be a better lane for a better flower. A lot of people think that getting into the, the full vertical industry is going to be the move for them uh, to make sure they can quote unquote, make the big bucks or whatever. Uh, but they're also not thinking about the so if they are truly for the plant, they're also not thinking about the sacrifice of quality that comes with quantity. Um, so there's a lot of education when we talk about education. We have to be able to educate not only on reversing signal, but also clarifying language so that the opportunities that are here um, are presented in ways that they're accessible and they're appealing uh, so that we don't miss those. Absolutely. Um, so um, a couple, so we're talking about uh, the trust in the communities. I mean, why would you trust a program um, when, when we already have a program in Missouri? Uh, Corinne, I think you can speak on this. We were talking about this the other day. They have 384 licenses, but only one is black owned. Is that correct? 
Is that a correct? I, I wrote that down from a conversation we had the other day. I was. I know of one transportation license that's black owned. Um, and it's just a transportation license. So we're not even talking about it. No, Viola. Viola is. Uh, there is a vertical minority. Right. Oh, it's okay. Fair minority owned. Um, one. One. Out of 384. Is that correct? Is that a correct? That's all that I know of. Right. Monet probably knows better. I know that she has done a really great job of networking with with any of the minorities that are involved in the industry at all. So she would be the person that I would ask about. But that's but and I'm I'm looking for it and I'm pretty well connected. I mean, but I there's just not. I know there were several minority applications that were very largely black owned and none of them won. And they had great groups and some mm -hmm. of them had really good financial backing too. But there have been a lot of issues with scoring those applications here in Missouri. And as much as it was supposed to be blind scoring and the way that that was all supposed to happen was that each question was gonna be graded by one person so that it would be consistently scored across. But there were lots and lots and lots of instances where um, multiple applications with the same answers got different scores on every one. And I mean, there were there were just a lot of issues with scoring in general. There was no um, I know people who had minorities on their team and got zero on their diversity score. So there yeah. was a question on the application that you could score higher on if you have minorities on your team. But by the time they scored it, it didn't even matter. It was like completely irrelevant. So, but Marnay can probably speak to that. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a great point. Um, I definitely want to say that we have to keep in mind that the draft was first changed. It did not have that question that worded the minority um, percentage. At first, it was to where the white men in the state of Missouri went and said they were going to file a class action discrimination suit if we were to release this merit application uh, scoring guide the way it the way it was stated to give black people an advantage. Um, I know a lot of people missed the rough draft because it was taken down and then another one was revised. Um, but I do have, you know, the, um, you know, that uh, the first draft as well. Um, but one thing that I can say, going back to uh, what Corinne was saying about, um, you know, having the, the financial backing, having that, it obviously did not matter because what, what, what we think is, but we have enough proof to say that there was something done, you know, um, illegally inside of this type of uh, scoring process to tell us that it was going to be done with a, you know, blind scoring application, but then not be able to give us answers as to with the uh, scoring company. And if those are those of you that do not know what's going on in the state of Missouri, um, after the license were awarded, there were tons of companies that stated um, that they were involved in some type type of um, secret meetings that help to plan out the application process. Um, and then even inside of that with me um, representing minorities for medical marijuana, we are a national nonprofit 
geared towards the representation and advocation of minority inclusion in both hemp and cannabis. And even inside of that, for like a week, we were accused of being the organization to um, to not, you know, follow these guidelines and the legal uh, legal ramifications that were put in place. Um, it's very sad to see that there's absolutely no clear answer as to why a blind application with tons of minority um, submission, still not enough awarded minority licensors. Um, but then we also have to talk about the opportunities that we take away from minorities when we put a cap on licenses. As of right now, tons of us are inside of groups that are creating, you know, recreational initiatives. I personally no longer sit in those groups because there is absolutely um, no infrastructure to actually want to work with minorities and black people. And even when those solutions are given, they are they are followed up with an excuse as to why we cannot fight that fight. We have so I hear you, Marnay. We know what you guys need, but in order for us to get all of that, we have to start here. No, you're not the priority right now, and you won't be in in my advocation. So until we can create and come together and say, you know what, now is not the time for us. When I say us, I mean European and white people. It's not the time for you guys to be successful in this industry. like, And we have trauma across the board in so many other markets, but when we talk about cannabis, we talk about before before you say, what, what can we do? You should be saying, hey, we're here, let me help you. Mm -hmm. So yeah. can, I, can I jump in there? there? There's some really amazing there's, stuff to unpack yeah. by, by all of you. Mm -hmm. um, First of all, I want to reiterate the fact, having been in uh, both the Colorado and Pennsylvania uh, cannabis industry intimately, that what Marnay and Corinne are talking about in Missouri, I saw happen firsthand in Pennsylvania. And so the application process is not flawed in Missouri. It's, it's flawed as a system in this country. It's the feature, not the flaw. Correct. So, so I, 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 you know, um, Again, I point out the, the American ideology in, in industry is just playing out the same way in the cannabis industry. We are trying, as a group, everybody in this conversation, we are trying to capitalize on new history, on understanding that Blacks are going to have equality and citizenship in this country and we have to do some repairing in order to move that forward. Now, I don't I don't think Marnay said something. I don't think there's many white people in this country that are legitimately worried about their success rate on on a privileged high level. I think what they realize is uh, on a baseline we're all just as susceptible to having difficulty getting into a privileged situation. Whether you're white or black, if you don't have the money or the new, to know the people, or you're not necessarily going to get into that uh, conversation. But we can see this industry has been moving along since 1996, mm -hmm. generally driven by license holders that were white males. And so if you look at the numbers from 1996 to today, that's not changed. No. Nope. 
the reason is because the white males are the ones writing all the language for all the amendments and all the initiatives and all the right things. because they are right. in power correct right. right they weren't the ones they weren't the ones doing the hiv studies they weren't the ones risking it in the gray market or in the illicit market when the feds were kicking in doors every day but they are the legislators and they are the ones who then want to pass that opportunity on to their peers so that's where you know i love having this conversation as long as we're moving from this to how do we you know as a, an organization that say is predominantly white run right i i ask them to put their hat in hand and say like marnay said how, how do we assist you? I'm going to sit here quietly and listen to somebody who's been given the opportunity already. How do we assist you? Can I add to that real quick? Um, uh, Megan, uh, I think, can let's, Megan, you're muted real quick. She was just jumping in real quick and then um, we'll grab I've on Brennan after that. Quiet because I just love hearing all of you uh, talk about this and um, I feel like just me listening and, and taking it in, um, I, I don't have much more to contribute, but I did want to, at this point, because of this, we have a new um, social equity program in Colorado. And Jay, I don't know if you've looked at this yet or seen this, but I just actually for the first time saw it today. And it's, I've read it to Farah and I don't, we don't know really how we feel about this because it almost feels you, you're piggybacking on a license. And um, Brennan, I don't- It doesn't uh, feel like ownership. Afro-licensing, I'm not familiar with that term as far as you know something like that here, but maybe this is what this accelerator program is what they're uh, calling this Colorado um, uh, program. And it's basically saying that uh, an accelerator endorsed licensee serves as a host in the accelerator program by providing the capital and or technical support to a social equity licensee that has to fall within parameters. And um, allowing the social equity licensee to operate as an accelerator store. Um, it also uh, says, okay. yeah, they provide the capital. And so, um, is this, Would is it be this better a, if we called it an incubator? What's that? It, it, Would it be better if it were called an incubator? I, I think, I haven't looked at the verbiage yet, but I think uh, I've seen this in a couple other states where they're trying to create an incubation program where parent companies are responsible to help give why back. Not, but why not make the industry accessible as a whole instead of making yet again somebody who doesn't have the socioeconomic privilege or otherwise have to ask another white man for his money so that we can open a business? Because it's black law. It's exactly no, what the South no offense. did after Civil War, right? Like, it's like we're going to give you actually. opportunity, but you still have to call us massa. Like, you're yeah. like you're. You're uh, you're free, but you have to sign this year. But we still own this. Right? Yeah. A farmer, right? That's so, what I, I mean, look at it. I mean, that's how when she read it, when she was reading, we were in this meeting, she was just reading it. And I, that's exactly what I heard. I mean, that's what I heard is that you have to ask somebody that has more money than you and more privilege than you for, please help me, sir. Please help me, you know, and I don't know if that's that's not social equity. That's not social equity. Thank you. But at the same time, don't we kind of want to take some of those resources and put them back into the community? I mean, yeah. you know what so I'm you saying? You say it's not social equity, but I would say there has to be a start. And you okay, but does the start have to be 
begging another man for his money. That doesn't have to, the start could be making it accessible for everybody. Here's, I don't see incubating a program. If I'm being legislated by the state to take on somebody who lived in a neighborhood that was over-policed and, and marginalized, and I have to use my dollars as a, a successful business to support them in incubation for a certain period of time, that's forcing me to give back to that community that I wouldn't necessarily okay. do. So if that's, I, I got to read it. I don't want to speak out of turn, but if they're, if they're creating a legislative incubation, look, I would much rather see if, if people are familiar what's happening in Oakland, they've got $35 million dedicated straight to workforce development, straight in neighborhoods that were overpleased and directly affected by the war on drugs. That's money to be spent in black neighborhoods by black people for black people, directly coming out of the industry for funds. In Missouri, you have veterans that were written directly into the financial benefit from the taxation to their hands. The same has to happen for the people most affected. And it, it right. can't, you know, that's where. I just said, it, there's nothing stopping that from happening, but, but who? Those white males that are making the legislation. Because like if we. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Because look in Oklahoma, they have they have an accessible program and it's it's like be successful and be good at what you do or don't. Thanks. But you are you have access to this. That's much more of an equitable system when you, you know, any anybody can just save up, you know, or just use some of the savings that they already have and go go out and start a dispensary or a cultivation facility or whatever they want to do. Directly here, in the industry. A million dollars. Right. Chris, that's exactly what, what I, again, for me, I fight for that low barrier of entry. So regular people, regardless of their color, if you're if you're blue collar, if you if you don't qualify for having two million in assets or whatever. Right. Lower that bar of entry is is a great step. Right. Well, it's, it's still not far enough. We still need to absolutely attack the, you know, the, the racial inequality issue. And that's that's the biggest thing. And uh, that definitely helps out. But, you know, if we're just doing it in one state, then the only the only places that's going to benefit from that is that one state. And we're talking right. Oklahoma. So the communities where the people are flocking from those communities aren't being helped or they're, you know, they're not being rescued or anything like that. So we need to create a, you know, a community thing all across the, the country, but you know. There, and I do think we need reparations. Literally these people's lives have been ruined for generations and torn apart and are still in prison to this day, still on probation to this day, which is nearly impossible to get off. Once you're on probation in the system, it can take you 20 years to get off of probation. It took him, what, 15, 16 years to get off of probation for a simple possession charge? It ruined, and it took up so much of our own money. This happens to generations of families, and we need to reinvest in our communities. And, Give them money when they come out so they can go get a car, so they can go get a job. I mean, right. Can you, can you speak on what your organization does to help for, further that process? Can you speak on to what you, you guys do? So as far as what we've been able to assist with, we've had three individuals who have um, that we've advocated for who have been released from incarcerations. Um so when they got out, we worked on getting them um, employment. Well, one of them was an 80-year-old blind guy, so he's just at home with his caregiver. Bless you, Charlie. 
Um, but the other two came out with like four or five different job offers. We did a GoFundMe to assist them because uh, Charlie needed a ramp built. So we got some money together for that. Um, if they've needed mental health services afterwards, that's something that we've connected with because you know, one thing that was really unexpected when like Seth and all of them start getting released is they're waking up at 5 a.m. for headcount. And then they're waking up with panic attacks because they've been, you know, institutionalized. And um, so mental health services is super duper duper important to me um, to follow up in that way, too. So it's it's been employment. They've been uh, we've told them we could assist them with housing if we wanted, if they needed it, but they've gone back to their families and been really successful in that department. Most of our, most of our advocacy and stuff like that is through community support and through, you know, just people spreading the word about things. And so just about every single person that we found out about, we were able to find out about because they reached out to us. They, uh, you know, their mom or dad or friend, or, uh, you know, there's just a, a number of different ways, but we we really need to reach different communities. Uh, we, you know, the minority communities, they're really afraid to reach out and talk to us. They think that I don't, I don't think there's trust there because there's been untrust for so many, you know, generations. Can I, uh, well, yeah, that, that is it. I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to go ahead, go ahead, Jason. You I just wanted point. to add to Chris's comment that we, we touched on it earlier, right? Like here's Missouri as an example of two communities that are obviously not connecting. And right. one of those communities has been completely and systemically underserved by design. And, and so it sets a perception from both sides of the fence, those people, those people, right? Yep. So we all, we all know, give me a sec, Marnay. We, we all know that um, something better has to be done from the community that's in charge. So I think we're all looking as minorities now, like that community now expects minority voices to have the answer for what they should be doing to reinvest in the community. So so I appreciate it. And that's where I think people like us come in. We are the bridge builders. We are the ones who go in, everybody on this page. We are the ones who go into both of those communities and we make that access happen. We have these conversations that others wait to have happen. So I agree. And I, and I just, you know, I add on the fact that I, we all as individuals have to and want to do more. And so I'm curious to see coming out of this, two organizations that have both expressed to me a lack of participation by the local minority community that I know that I know people in those minority communities that want to participate in the legal cannabis industry, either ancillary or can use the help of. So it's really about finding that connection and communication, right? So, so I just want to remind everybody, I think we really are having that happen as we speak. Sorry. Good. That's great, Jason. If you don't, if anyone, is it okay if I talk for a second? Yes. Yes. Cool? yes. Okay. Please. Do. I want to first say that I think that the Canna Convict Project is an amazing organization. The mission and goal, sorry, the mission and goal um, for the organization is amazing, which is why um, I founded 
the top priority. So one, find you guys. For two, reach out. And for three, see how we could build on our missions together. Um, I'll first start off by saying I met you all individually. Um, Chris, you're kind of, you're coined as the photographer of the cannabis industry that you go around to events across the state. Um, I met you at the cannabis pitch competition at Blueberry. Well, I, I take that back. I didn't meet you, but we were at the same event at Blueberry Hill. Is that correct? Yeah. And it was the, 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 the event. <laughs> it was for the event. I said, yeah, we feel like you Right. Yep. Right. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. So Ignite Missouri, you were you were the cameraman, so you filmed you filmed minority women winning first cannabis pitch investment competition. Was Canna Convict an organization at that moment, or were you just a media person in the industry? Yeah, we didn't start um, the Canna Convict project until uh, July of 2019. Um, so when we met you. We were actually with a team uh, thinking about trying to go for a dispensary. Everything kind of fell apart shortly thereafter. Um, so yeah, then no, we yeah we didn't have it going at the time. But I I was a uh, yeah I was you know been an advocate for twenty plus years on social justice advocate, uh, cannabis advocate, just advocacy for for just justice for everything. I'm mean, including the earth, and you know um, I I was so excited right, right. when this industry came around. I started taking the pictures. And it just kind of spread off to something else. But, uh, you know, it was such an amazing moment to be at the Ignite event, uh, you know, and just to see what we thought was going to be inclusion into the Missouri industry, because it, it was written into all the applications because we were filling out the applications. We saw all this and we were like, you know, this is fantastic. There is going to be some social equity in Missouri. And then when it came down to the to the scoring and to everything else, it was like, no, nope, we were just fucking around. We were, we were kidding. Okay, thank you for answering the question. So you guys had informed Canna Convict. Um, my point was basically that um, even inside of you being very pivotal inside of capturing those moments, you didn't introduce yourself, you know, to me personally. Um, I know there are other few people that were uh, there that were in the audience that are on the um the panel right now. Um, but I would say for one to know that you were going into the industry in that type of application and to have that type of standard of being the person to capture these moments. Um, you know, I didn't know who you were and you didn't know who I was, but even me standing up there and winning should have been a moment for you to think, you know what, I should at least hand my number to this lady or maybe she should take down my number if I genuinely am here to help change the progression of nonviolent marijuana offenders. But at that moment, that was not your particular mission. Um, I'm then going to fast forward to the Midwest Canada Expo um, show to where you were taking pictures. You took yeah. pictures of the table of minorities for medical marijuana. Um, you didn't introduce yourself when you came up. Um, you just took pictures. You were you Canada Convict was an organization at that moment for you to stand right. there and just Our table take was pictures. just right across the way from you. Right, right. So instead of instead of introducing yourself in that moment and saying, hey, oh, my gosh, you're this minority nonprofit. And we just started this organization that is specifically probably more important to your community in this moment than it is for our own personal advocation in our communities. Everyone does deserve to be let out of prison for nonviolent marijuana offenders. Absolutely. 
everyone does, but most importantly, black men. So even after not, and I didn't, I honestly couldn't correlate, you know, you being the photographer and also being kind of convict because it was just a group at the moment. Um, but I know personally, Abrama and myself reached out to uh, Christina for an event for a national expungement week and black and cannabis week. They're the first, it's the first two weeks in September. Um, we reached out in the middle of the summer to put this, you know, event together and it obviously never happened. You know, we didn't, we didn't hear anything else about it. And yes, yes. An excuse can be that you may not have heard back from either of us, but then also did you go a step further and saying, you know what? I plan all these other events. I can throw some ideas out for them. And if they like it, we can come back and build from it. We shouldn't have had to come to your organization if you're saying that you're looking for people and you're saying that the trust is broken in the black community. You have three of phenomenal black women right here in this video. You have an awesome biracial man who has the power and the safety net to provide the information that's all we're asking for is to be able to pinpoint the people that we care about in our communities to you all so i will say that um there may not have been a structure prior to today but i will say that moving forward i am going to do in the best of my interest to make sure that any events that we even rough draft become an actual thing um because as you can see i am personally offended um by the lack of enthusiasm when it comes to the black community and i'm going to digress can i can i uh, before before uh anybody speaks to that too yeah um I want to say that um, I I I I don't understand personally. I've never been in in her shoes or in any of these women's shoes or these men's shoes. But what I will say is that it is absolutely um, our responsibility to be the ones who reach out, to be the ones who swallow our pride. It's hard to do sometimes. Brennan said something in a call the other day that really has stuck with me. And it's something that when I was in Missouri, I personally met several of you almost a year ago now, and I miss your faces. And um, but when I was in Missouri, there was a very uncomfortable conversation also happening around the same subject. And when people who look like us were discussing this, they were saying things like, well, she shouldn't have said it that way. She should have said it in a better way. And my point is that she probably has. And when I looked at the comment section of a public post concerning this subject, nobody in the comments was upset about how the point was made. They were happy that the point was made. And I think Sometimes we miss the point because we want it to be said in a really professional way, which is why in the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned white culture not being able to have real conversations. Real conversations are sometimes uncomfortable and they're not pretty and nice and professional all the time. And they come with language that uh, makes, us, makes us cringe maybe sometimes. And honestly, maybe she could have said it a better way, but I would... 
I would venture a guess that each and every one of these individuals in this room that do not look like me, that do not resemble me, have already said it nice several times. And as a woman, I can respect that because I say things nicely several times and then I have to scream and then a man calls me a bitch. And so um, I think that's super relatable. Excuse me. Um, I see this. I think it's super relatable. And so the reason for that long diatribe is mm -hmm. I want to ask you, uh, Can a Convict Project, um, how you, you said you needed community engagement, right? Um, when I look, and I'm not, I'm not being offensive at all. I'm just being truthful. When I no. look at your webpage, I see a bunch of white people on your webpage. Now you told me a conversation the other day that you have other people, people of color in your organization. But when I look at your webpage, I don't see them represented right on the forefront. And I no, think that the Facebook does have your whole the, a little bit more. I did, you know, just to jump okay. in. Sorry. Well, um, yeah, no, no. By all means, correct me. By all means. No, but the website too. I, I my first initial thought too was, um, you know. Our website just got set up. Um, I mean, it probably just got published two, maybe three weeks ago uh, for, the very, for the very first time. And another group was doing it for us to help to try to help out our uh, organization. So they had the entire thing set up. They did it all. And we really haven't had a chance to edit in a, a bunch of stuff that we're actually trying to do with that. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, again, I, like, I, I want to defend Chris and the idea that um, – I know the two of you relate to the plight of the marginalized because you've had to suffer through it. But he was not born into that plight. And what I want us to remember mm -hmm. in the moving forward part, I love hearing Marnay say from this point forward, we are the conduit. Yeah. We are the conduit that you need to make these these neighborhoods have conversations. I know Corinne's dying to get into these neighborhoods and give people opportunity. I know she is. Yeah. yeah. And I I better at not being offended. So I don't yeah. right. But the three of us all saw the same thing in no offense and are doing just a quick research on the Canada project in Missouri. The first background picture I see and the first I hear on its face is that they've let, you know, eight white people out and there's this large group of white people. Uh, before I had the conversation and did my homework. You had as many people at least. But optically, mm -hmm. optically, you, you present something that we as a, a, a marginalized community would like you to be more thoughtful before presenting is what I what I believe yeah. we're asking, right? Yes. Okay. I and absolutely agree and I honestly as far as um, I didn't know I've heard a lot of new information tonight I didn't know like only one I knew there was disparity rates in the cannabis industry here in Missouri I didn't know only one was granted license one out of all I had no idea you know I get so wrapped up in the criminal justice aspect of it that you know a lot of times I lose sight of the actual industry that's something that Chris is much more involved with with going to the openings and the cultivations and I've been to a couple but I'm very unfamiliar with that and I know there are huge disparity rates and uh, as far as inclusion into management and uh, 
you know, just employment of any kind. And so I was doing such a bad job on promoting that inclusion. And I really want to do better. I really, really want to do better. I didn't realize I was failing so desperately. I, I know that I get caught up on the criminal side again with like, um, as far as when we say that we only know about who we know about because there's no list. Um, yes. so, Speak to that a little bit more, actually. I wanted to ask you that next. Can you talk yeah. about uh, Mr. Franklin a little bit um, and tell us what what could help you? And, and again, I, I want to say this before you tell us that, that there are several people in this room that are connected to these communities. So absolutely, I think, include them in your projects. But go ahead and speak on um, Robert Franklin real quick for us and um, tell us what, what, what the problem was and, and, and what, you know, what issues came up with that, with that particular individual. Okay, so Robert is the only black man that we're currently aware of that we're advocating for. Well, we know there's a bunch more. We don't know who they are. And so he, um, of course, got a much harsher sentence for a lot less of possession. He had one pound and he was given 22 years without the possibility of parole. And they stopped him at one of those drug checkpoint signs they put in the middle of the interstate so that you race off and exit to the side but he pulled down there and there was already other cars getting pulled over underneath the underpass and everything else and then he was busted and uh yeah so his mom reached out to us um we had originally ran across his name in an article um probably you know july or august of 2019 when we first decided that we were going to try and do something in this aspect because everyone was always in the industry and medical but i didn't really hear anyone talking about those who were still incarcerated and i actually sat in on um m4mm uh, had jeff mazanski up there our lifer that served 22 years here in missouri that was released in 2019 and you know, he really resonated with me. And um, so that's how all of it really kind of got started was that's what was really the inspiration. And it kind of took some months to gather all our thoughts, but, put it together. but um, you know, it's, it's Robert Franklin. And then there's been two Native Americans and the rest are white guys. And I just don't know how to. Um, and again, I will do my best in the future. We need people to tell us their names. There's, again, no list. We've been trying to reach out to the community. We even went as far to interview the, the mayor of Kansas City and ask, you know, how can we reach the communities? How can we get these people to reach out to us so we can help them? Because like she said, there's no list. There's nothing we can do. And, and that's what we're, we're here for. That's yeah, what we're here for. The bridges. These are, you know, I promise you, I will get you a longer list than you could fucking possibly comprehend of the black <laughs> people in your state who need your attention. Thank I you. I ran into the same That's issue in PA with expungement. So I promise you, I will hit you with whatever I can. Okay. You have to look approachable. You have to look approachable also. And um, right now, the, the, you know, as we pointed out, like you got to change that cover picture. We got to, we got to get that changed. Cool. <laughs> changed the, the one on the website. Well, we yeah. have, I, 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 
I think from our perspective, we're talking about being thoughtful. So, so yeah. in that, right, the design of your website, when you you would mention to us that that you know three of the people that you are actively working on are minorities. You need to prioritize that in the presentation of your what you do. I'm sorry I thought I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know how to design the website and have been totally lost. I totally got if you want if you want if you want a black if you want a black guy in the community to pick up his phone or hit up somebody and say, what do these people look like? Do they give a shit about us? I can only go on the information I can glean. Up that website, I see the background pictures and the information given, and it really doesn't look anything like me or anybody that I know has had issues in Missouri. So that's that's what I think is a great forward-moving concept for all bodies to be thoughtful of the community they're obviously not engaging prior to rollout of any thought, right? Well, I, I, I want to shift the conversation over to Corinne a little bit, because again, yes. we met on the context at the MoCan trade event last year. Right. So it's not it's not actually a MoCan trade event. It's actually my event that I'm responsible for. So okay, I'm sorry. But let's pause for just a second. I just want to say real quick, um, uh, this this is a longer than a one hour conversation for anybody who's watching us live. And uh, thank you for sticking in with us. And uh, yeah, I actually, Jason switched gears for me, but this is exactly the direction that we wanted to go. Um, I want to just reintroduce everybody as I see them on the screen. So my name, Canna Queen, of course, Farah uh, and, and May, we are the hosts of the show, The Cannabis Closet. That's what you're listening to right now. We got Jason Mitchell here. He is our co-host today uh, for this conversation on social equity. Uh, next on my screen is Corinne. And then we got Christina and Chris, and they're from the Canna Convict Project. We have a Brahma, and I promise you're going to hear her voice, which is beautiful and elegant. And we have Dawn here as well. We have Brennan on the screen, and we have the lovely Marnay. Everybody wanted me to do a quick introduction for anybody that didn't come in uh, right initially. Uh, most of our panelists are from the Missouri area, uh, and Jason is... Um, out uh, out of Colorado, but also has uh, Pennsylvania, ties, Pennsylvania ties as well. So um, he has experience in the legal cannabis industry in both the Colorado and the Pennsylvania market. And uh, and Megan and I are in the Colorado market in the legal industry. So that's just a quick reintroduction. And yes, we are going to change gears. The whole reason that this podcast exists is because Missouri has some issues that they need to suss out a little bit. And that's what we're here to do, to talk about it so that we can move forward. We're not here to say that we're gonna solve all of these problems today, but these conversations are absolutely necessary to get the ball rolling, to find solutions. And Missouri- It's happening other places. It's happening everywhere, but Missouri had a great example. Um, Jason, I'll go ahead and let you talk on your experience in Missouri and some of the conversations that we were having and we'll, we'll jump off from there. Well, all right. So, um, Corinne was correcting me on how we met <laughs> at, at the trade expo that she uh, organized and put on. Yep. And, and I'm going to, and I'm going to force both, uh, uh, Brahma and Dawn into this conversation because the Please context go. was how I met 
all you ladies, right? Like I was invited as the token black guy in the conversation nationally to come out and reflect a little of what Missouri is trying quietly and slowly to address. And what I noticed was, I, you know, I set a booth up in this environment along with hundreds of other people. I think there was a couple hundred booths. Um, and, and as a booth representative, the minority numbers match what the state told me before I even got in there, right? Like when I walked around the floor as a representation of uh, brown people in the Missouri industry, it was well less than 1%. Absolutely it was. It's, it's, um, it's the, the conference was very much on the floor at least, a reflection of, unfortunately, and a reflection of what licenses look like. Uh, right of the industry, of the industry, in in because you haven't set up dispensaries yet, and we're starting to roll them out now. We're just starting to roll out. But the thing is, is that even trying to be intentional in that inclusion, it was difficult. Um, uh, okay, you so know, this is why we move forward now, right? You've now today you have a, a a clearer path in conversation. So what I'd say is. What was shocking to me was so few blacks in the cannabis, and this speaks to my industry, so few blacks in the cannabis industry, but in that hotel, that's all that worked there. Now, I have a hard time understanding that beyond the fact that I'm supposed to understand my place. I'm employable for service in the kitchen. I'm employable for service in the hotel and restaurant industry. But for some reason, I'm not employable in the cannabis industry. Oh, that's right. This whole thing has been established by some fucking dude named Anslinger who didn't like black dudes and his daughter hanging out with him or however that story plays out. Right. Sounds right. Like the racism of there was no truth in, in how we were we were duped into believing that cannabis is a plant connected to certain groups of people. And yet we continue to suffer that today. So, again, it leads to asking the people putting on the events, the people at the, the the helm of control to be extra thoughtful. Yeah, I and, would say, I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought you're done. No, no, and uber sensitive to what they don't know. What we do know is there's no black people in the room. What we don't know is why. Right. Mm -hmm. I did my first big conference in 2019 and we threw it together in three months. And I, I will be perfectly honest, inclusion, diversity was like barely on my radar. Um, it wasn't Every a good thing. Right, it, it wasn't. And, and it was, I had been up until that point just really about patient advocacy and inclusion was, it was not on my radar at all. And, and I got my, I got talked to about it and I was okay with that because I really truly want to do better. We, we, I felt like we did better this past year. Um, we had panels. I, Roz McCarthy uh, from M4MM helped that next me. Year. Yeah, she, she, I talked with her at length ahead of the conference. She made some speaker recommendations for me. We were intentional about trying to be inclusive. We tried to make sure we invited organizations that were advocates. But I say all this just to say, like, this is something that 
like to your point, like I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And as we have moved forward, these conversations have become really important to me, not just because it's, you know, I mean, it's necessary for business, but like for me personally, these conversations are really super important. And so like some of them are difficult and some of the things that are being said are difficult to hear, you know, like we get ego involved and go, oh, well, that's not, you know, I want to be all defensive or whatever, mm -hmm. but I'll oh. be the first one to admit that like I suck at optics. I do. I'm not good at that, even when I'm trying to be intentional. And so it's just constantly an exercise for me to just constantly work harder at it and do better at it. And, you know, I'm, I feel fortunate that I can have these conversations with people who can help me do better and be better because I feel like as part of the, as part of the industry and the role that I have, that it's a responsibility. Like I am responsible for trying to help make that change. I so, feel that too. Can, can I, I, can I, I but it's your responsibility. And I think the three of us, the two, the two ladies especially are trying to create this environment where you have a space to feel safe enough to have your opinion, right or wrong, your opinion expressed in a place where you're not attacked for it. But there are others that may oppose that opinion. Um, and so you just clearly stated that you, you felt in an intentional manner that the environment that you brought me into, you were thoughtful of. And there were still four black people in the room. Does that make you satisfied? No. That all the black people around you want to hear and then want to help you in making that better next time. That those four people are 40 and that the following year it's 400. Right. And that your inclusion luncheon that includes women includes women of color. Um, that's where I, I mean, I've been listening to the conversations around me and meeting these wonderful people around me and, and just listening to what was going on. But when I really, really noticed it, and I am super white, except in summertime, sometimes, um, but <laughs> I walked into that luncheon and I felt super uncomfortable that we were calling it an inclusion luncheon. We didn't and have an inclusion luncheon. That's that's what I would that's what I was told that it was. So that's uh, so thank I mean it was all women, right? It was a woman's luncheon. It was a women's breakfast. Right. And and I that's feel part. like the yeah. subject matter was about inclusion in the industry. We're talking about inclusion of women. We can't talk about inclusion of women in the industry without talking about inclusion of women of color. Yeah. And I felt like they were left out of the conversation. Um, and, and, and when you, and, and, and I'm not attacking you at all, but when you say that you put so much thought into one panel to include four black individuals, but then we have a women's gathering, a uh, brunch, whatever. Um, and there's, there's no women of color represented on a panel to there's talk about inclusion in the industry. Women, but there was no, there was not a black woman on the panel. And that was you know, um, that was not, it was one of those things not on my radar that somebody talked with me about afterwards. And so that's what I mean. It's like, even every, and, even when we're intentional, there's always a place where we can do better. Always. So we, right, so we can take that today. So today we can own as individuals. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And moving forward, I'm going to do better. 
And now that I have tools that are going to give me the chance to do better. Again, for me, it's shocking to know that I could be in Missouri less than a week and meet Abrama, Dawn, Marnay, and Corinne all in the same context, but yet see how clearly segregated the industry is and how that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. But our coming together was over the same love for the plant and patience. Mm -hmm. No matter what color they are, at the end of the day, black people are going to relate to black people because that's what they look like in the mirror. Like no different than Chris became a, a difference in society when he had a charge. Now he's got to report to somebody and be treated differently because he made a choice about a plant or you you have the stupid law about a plant. I mean, it's this persecution of nonsense that connects us that at the end of the day, we all got us here. So moving forward, I, I always, you know, I, I love the idea of being able to provide the positive impact to say, what can, you know, and I'm going to put my man on the spot right now as well, but what can Marnay or Dawn or Abrama do differently moving forward mm. that would engage you and more like you in that environment to be in the black community? Because there was there was expos in the black community that were cannabis related or ancillary service related. I met these people, but none of them were invited or knew about the expo. Or was what, it accessible to them? Oh. Like, was it accessible? Can uh, yeah. I, Marnay, go ahead. And then after that, after Marnay says, uh, "Can I, I hear from Abrama?" I know. I want. I want to hear from Abrama after Marnay. And that's literally, I'm taking two seconds, sis, because I heard Corinne say very happily elated, full of enthusiasm that Abrama took over her position. Abrama took over this position prior to this Midwest, Midwest Canna Expo. And for you to give this lady, this was historical. She is the first Black executive director was normal chapter and you didn't think about a Brahma? so she asked me to give my background and my background includes three years as the executive director of greater st louis normal yeah. i didn't say that to disparage a Brahma. i did no. that because vera asked me to introduce myself and that's part of my history Absolutely. See, you did. You didn't see. You were. But you this were was in context. Day. Yeah, this was in context to inviting her to the um to the include or to the women's to luncheon the to, to the, the breakfast. So, so that breakfast got planned about thirty days ahead of the conference. It was really last minute, and I knew that I was going to have to hostess it, and I was terrified. Like I am, I'm terrified of like public speaking, like even right now, like I'm anyway, it's just the thing for me. And so I was going to sit on this stage and I invited two people to be with me that I had had lots of conversations with because I was trying to create an environment where I, it would be comfortable to have those conversations. For you. Thinking it all you. Right. I Roz was, I actually was, brought I really this up in a recent interview. Roz actually brought Roz, uh, who is the founder of M4MM, um, brought this up in a recent interview that I just listened to um, talking about the cannabis industry in general. So I just want to remind everybody, while this is a, a Missouri conversation with Missouri residents and people in the Missouri cannabis industry, that this is a national cannabis industry issue. 
And so um, it's not a that's, personal attack on it's anybody. It's not it's at a all. Professional discussion about our industry. Absolutely. And moving forward. And right. so what Roz and what Roz mentioned when she was talking in this interview was how, you know, everybody wants to get into this industry. And so if you're a cultivator, what do you do? You're going to invite your friends to come help you build your business without thinking about your business in the long term of what what is happening in the long term of your business and excluding an entire community of individuals and also doing that in their neighborhoods and taking the money that you make in their neighborhoods and walking out with it, not you personally, but generally speaking. And so, and so, yeah, we have to think beyond the friendships and the people who make us comfortable is, right. is really. Um, I'm going to say, frankly, I, I had, I ran into this issue today with a white man that I consider that I love like a brother. Um, but I've never been given as a black man in America, I've never been given the opportunity to decide whether or not I'm going to participate or function in a moment because of my comfort. Like my comfort has always been secondary to my action. So when Corinne, when you say, you know, you're building this thing, you have the opportunity to build this thing, but you want to make sure you're thoughtful about keeping it comfortable for you. I want us to remember that not everybody, I don't feel like everybody's been given that same opportunity. So we can't have that same perspective, mm -hmm. right? Of personal comfort. In this country, especially for black and brown people, personal comfort wasn't as three as three thirds of man. It wasn't so much about whatever. personal comfort as it was a desire to not be on stage and puke in front of everybody. No, no, I get I do. You know I what do. I mean? It I do. Wasn't, I can. But then, I was, then I was maybe you just, in, in paradise as a as a, a cannabis industry employee, happily living my life in a small town in the mountains, high and legal, and never having an issue. But it didn't further the cause for people that look like me. So I had to take myself way outside of that comfort zone. I'm not somebody who wanted to get on a pedestal and talk about this. But it's who I am today. There you are. <laughs> Because yeah. it's the life I've lived. So I appreciate where you're coming from. I just, and it became an issue between he and I that he didn't want to participate in this conversation. He says he stands next to me in the battle, but he didn't want to participate in this conversation because it made him uncomfortable. And right. I don't understand that because this conversation don't make me comfortable. No, I'm not comfortable. I do, a lot of, I do a lot of uncomfortable things, and I think it's important to continue to do that. Well, I want to remember that moving that. forward in how other people see it, that in our design, it all sounds the same to me. Again, we all have to be more thoughtful in how we put our best foot forward. Abrama's mm -hmm. um, got something to say about Yes, that. I want to hear from Abrama, please. I would love to. I've been watching you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear from you. I went to two conferences when I was in Missouri and one of them was yours. So please take the stage, my queen. Um, so I definitely think that it's really about an internal purposefulness for people who say that they want to be inclusive in general, because 
I never have to remind somebody to include veterans. I never have to remind somebody to include women. If you're an event planner and your natural ideas for what's going to draw people, that gives you a platform, that gives you a purpose, that gives you a privilege, especially additionally being somebody who is white, who is a member of the majority. So I feel like what really needs to happen is more accountability personally for people. Because if veterans are left off, it's immediately like, oh my gosh, we didn't think of veterans. We really haven't figured out, you know, anything for them. In conversations, when I'm talking about um, building amendments, when someone, we can never leave the veterans off. That's high up on the list. We can say that we'll give veterans or women's $10 million and everybody will jump on board with that. But it's so much less comfortable to say, what about African-Americans? What about marginalized communities? But I think that it needs to be more internal for people so that we don't have to constantly remind people to include minorities, because that alone is an additional burden, kind of. And I think that um, everybody, and it doesn't even have to be anything incredibly huge where it's like, oh, we just want you to specifically give Black people, um, you know, these specific, give us uh, all your we don't want your whole webpage to be about, you know, that or anything of that nature. But I think it's also important to think about the fact of really holding people accountable. It's a lot of things that I see shared by members of the community that when I'm in higher level conversations, these people who are being praised are not advocates for patients, you know? And I think that there isn't that extra level of real thought about that when they are praised and when they are given, you know, for example, MOCAN Trade or like other organizations, um, MCIA, or even in normals instance, I think that a lot of it has to become you taking your platform and using that to your advantage. Like um, when I did meet everybody um, who was not from Missouri on this call <laughs> was really through my event. And my event was meaningful to be somewhere that was not South County, somewhere that was not out in St. Charles, where a lot of these events are being held. It was to be inside of St. Louis City. I had the only event that I had seen outside of Mocan that was only for businesses, where it was truly patients, people who were Black were willing to drive to, because we're not driving to St. Charles, we're not driving to South County. But if you have that platform and you have that ability, it is about being meaningful. Me as a person putting on events, meaningful put this in my community. Um, and I mean, there really is that it was that people came. So it isn't about it not even being profitable or not being, um, you know, available for people to figure out. It's about being purposeful in those conversations. And I think that, um, you know, there needs to be more about that. There needs to be more accountability for people in general um, who are white and who are in these positions, who own dispensaries, who have, you know, those positions of power. It's about it being inside and really being kind of innate and not being something that we just see as, you know, we have to do it that way because somebody reminded us to. 
And I want to put a pin in that right there because I, I happen to know a license holder in the state who just had the opportunity to hire, and we'll discuss that in a second. But I want to give both uh, Chris and, and Christine, when she comes back, and Corinne, a chance to respond to that. And, and so this is the Black community. This is the voice of the Black community telling you directly, you know, um, how they how they perceive your efforts and, and what they'd like to see from you in the future. Well, yeah, I, I absolutely want to, you know, want you guys to know that these these are discussions that are going on in our in our board meetings with the Canon Convict Project. And we have a very diverse board. Um, we have a, an Asian, Joni Harshman, uh, Stephanie Burton. She's an African-American. And then we have a white guy, um, Timothy. And no, and no offense, but every black person on the on the page here has heard somebody say in their life, we got black friends and we've had well, that. And so that's. Okay, I think they're on our board. Let me speak that. because I you sound like irritating <laughs> at all. I'm not my feelings here at yeah. all. Um, I I heard, I hear you. Like I said earlier, I didn't realize I was failing so badly, and so I I want to move forward. I apologize for my shortcomings, and I look forward to finding you know, better ways to collaborate and get more involved. Sometimes it's difficult being on the KC side and the St. Louis side, but as much as we can find that way to do it, and um, I'm happy to do it. We don't ever create events of our own. We always go to events and are invited to events, but I absolutely will, you know, put it out there and make sure that we have our voice representing for you guys' involvement as much as we can so that they're hearing it from as many aspects as they can. I, I can only do better, and I am fully committed to doing that now because I didn't even know I sucked at it so bad. So <laughs> You are not failing. Thank you. My name's yelling it down there. Yes. <laughs> Look, again, we're all talking about what we didn't know. And mm-hmm. you didn't know what you didn't know. And that's, right. I think, the, the, that's why I love these ladies hosting the show so much is that we're, we're, we're allowed to have this space where we can all discuss that in a way that they're smart enough to bring the right people mm-hmm. in the room and go, hey, let's have this conversation and see what we can come out of it. Because I'm excited about what's going to come, you know, what can come out of, you know, not only this conversation, but for the future of all of you, mm-hmm. what we can do for, the plant and the people affected by it for real. Oh, we're a thousand percent doing a follow-up to this, uh, this episode. Uh, we're we're going to ask you to come back in, in months or maybe in a year from now to discuss um, Don, uh, we haven't heard from you this whole episode and I would love to hear your thoughts. Cause I've been watching your face too. And I know you have some things to say, so please speak, speak on it. Tell us. I'm really, I just wanted to piggyback on what Abrama said with accountability. Now there has to be consistency. That's what we haven't had. That's been the biggest problem. I'll say in my seat because we've all had different seats at the table, even just meeting Farrah and Jason and being at that expo with my sis. You know, these two ladies that are on the panel with me are also, you know, we've been friends in the industry together. We've worked shoulder to shoulder at all of these events, several of them. Um, we've been photographed out by Chris. Chris knows that we shoot. I just got the pictures today. Uh, so we've done a lot of things around each other, but it hasn't been a disconnect. I know when I have been around Christina, it is a great vibe, but there has not been a connection and there has to be consistency when it comes to different things we've had. 
when you all met me, I was working for a different clinic, but I was there both years of that expo. And I saw the differences that Corinne spoke of and they were not, you know, a good thing. It, it was pretty bad. The first year I was there, just um, when it comes to accessibility to something like that, um, the price was pretty steep. The only reason I got to go the first year is the first employer I had from Illinois wanted someone to kind of scout it out, look at it. And because I was from town and they were from Illinois, they needed a hometown girl. So I saw a lot of faces that I got to know over the last couple of years, um, working shoulder to shoulder with them. Last year, when I met Farrah and Jason, um, I was with a different company, <laughs> but was able to say I had hands all over the, that, that expo. It was several of us, Black women that are friends and just women in business and cannabis that were able to say, hey, don't forget to stop by this table. Hey, don't forget to stop by that table, because that's how our community has been working. We've been mm -hmm. doing that for ourselves. It hasn't been supported consistently. Though. I've been invited to be a part of and join in with and be on panels with. And I, I've been happy to be on every single one that I've been invited to to represent myself as Donna Cannabis Advocate and with LeVert. But it has to be consistent in wanting to continue that conversation. It fell off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That has to be spoken for. That's the accountability of Rama spoke on. The consistency has to continue. And when it's brought personal because of egos and that clash, the business does not move forward. That's where we've been at a standstill. All around us, we're all on social media, which is why we all were able to come here and kind of get those conversations out the way so we can move forward. But right. every effort that we make, understand that it is not on us to reach out to you because we've reached out to you. We've made ourselves available to you. I make the time, we make the time, we cooperate, and we are more than happy to work with, but it has to be consistent. Because if it's not consistent, I can't consistently give to my patients. I can't consistently get this voice out here to be able to empower patients with you. So it has to be consistent with every one of us that looks like us. Mm -hmm. So um, wait, 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 wait. I because she said something, and um, and there was something I want. I I I need this quote from Brennan. I need it. I I need it. So what the the thing is. Um, I'm talking to people who look like me on the panel. I love you. I am so grateful that you came here because this is a very scary conversation for us, but we get to choose to have it. And that's number one. And so we know that, you know, that I can tell that, you know, that, but um, Brennan said something in a meeting that we had prior to this podcast that really has stuck with me. And it has to do with calling somebody out or calling somebody in. And what is our position? What is my position on that? And where 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 am I in this in this quote and understanding who which person I am and which character I am in 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 what he's saying is really important. And so can you say what you said about being called out and, and being willing to call people in? Can you, do you remember, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Oh, you're good. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the, the difference, you know, call out culture versus calling culture um, is, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're called out by someone 
and the response is to get defensive, right? And the, the response is to, uh, to find a way to call the other person out or respond to defense. Um, calling in is whenever something happens, whether it's something that you feel internally where you feel like you've been harmed or that you've been wronged, or that someone else has called you out. Uh, your responsibility is to call them in to you um, for an opportunity for healing and repair um, as opposed to uh, calling them out because you think that they're off base or because you think that they don't know you. Um, you know, we had an experience, we had something happen locally with one of my, with my security guard, a good friend of mine, um, and um, one of my most dedicated volunteers, uh, a beautiful, strong, and innovative black man. And he, uh, he voiced his concerns about a local business online. And he voiced a bit. He felt like, really, I mean, he went in on him. He was upset. He was really fucking mad. And he was eloquent with his delivery, but it was abrasive as fuck. And, and people got defensive. The whole thing, like, a bunch of people that liked this restaurant got defensive. And it was really kind of a, it was a sad but revealing day in our community. Um, and fortunately, I was just recently uh, nominated to the board, so I got to talk to the whole the board about the whole issue but um bottom line is this i'll just kind of paraphrase or i'll kind of give you a little bit of what i uh what i wrote is that i said um let's see especially let's see so for people that, that get defensive um about being called out um are often focused are, are not focused on the are they focused on the what of being called out and they're not focused on the why, um, especially if you think that claims are false or if you think that someone saying something is wrong, then why the fuck should you be so upset? The bottom line is that a person is coming to you because they're stressed or they're obviously stressing hard enough uh, that they have to that they're expressing themselves in that way. Right. And so if you're being called out by someone, um, especially if it has something to do with race, if you call them out here, I'll just read it right here. I said. Acknowledge that the most important part piece to decipher is that you are taking it personally and you are missing the opportunity uh, to be an ally. Um, again, you are not being an ally. Either you are uh, here. I'm going to stop trying to paraphrase this. It's just choppy as fuck. So basically, it's just that if you are uh, too focused on your own emotions, then you are going to lose the opportunity to actually be a true ally. If you say that I advocate for the pain and the struggle and the, 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 the frustration of minority peoples, of black people, of women, of handicapped people, transgender, Native Americans, toothless, whatever you want to say, of people that have been impoverished in this country in one way or another. If you say you advocate for those causes, but then whenever that pain actually shows up to your doorstep, you get offended, you're not being an ally. The, the work comes whenever that pain comes to your doorstep. What do you do when the pain actually comes to you? You know, do you... Do you take it and you call them in so you can have an opportunity for repair or you get defensive and try to call them out? And the biggest problem I see, especially with white folks in the industry, is whenever they get called out on something, uh, they immediately get defensive and they don't know how to be an ally. They don't know how to say they, they often want to say, well, you don't know what I do or I did this thing and I did this other thing and I do these other things like you don't must you obviously don't even know me. And it's like, well, if that's what you're focusing on, you're missing the point. The point is, is that this is your opportunity uh, to humble yourself that what you're doing, you are carrying the face of the oppressor. You're carrying the language, you're carrying the, the privilege. 
you're carrying the, the, the equity of, of the social equity of, of generational wealth in your mind that minorities don't have the privilege of having. And so when you walk into that conversation, you have so much that you're carrying with you uh, that you may not even realize that someone to, to your left or your right isn't. And this is the intersectionality of privilege, right? This is where me as a black man, as a multiracial black, black man, know that I'm in an intersectional space and, and privileges and, and adversities next to my black sister to my left or above me. Um, if we talk about people in, I like to talk about bad teeth, okay? Because bad teeth is partially a cultural construct, right? Part of what we have in dental health is we have two things. We have people that are actually societally in need or medically in need of dental health uh, care. And then we have people that are being judged because of the way that their teeth naturally look. But imagine what it was, what it must be to have what's considered improper teeth. Imagine what it is to want to smile and just share and express joy with the world. And every time that you want to express joy, there's something holding you back. There's something that you can't even just get it all the way out, you know, because you can't authentically be yourself because you think people are going to judge you or that you're not going to be accepted or that you might not get that job or that you might not get that partner, whatever it is. And this is what it is whenever a minority, a person of color is trying to start a business, especially in this industry. It's like trying to smile, thinking that the world is going to push back on you just for expressing yourself. You know, and these are the mental slaveries that have been put on the people at the receiving end of these oppressions. And it's also the current that those on the receiving end of the, the privilege are writing too. And so with that, I'll say, you know, earlier something was said about <clears throat> and I know that I went on a whole tangent off of what you asked me to say, um, but it's I also okay. have to talk about it, which is really fucking hard for me. Um, the the other part about this is that you know earlier there was discussion about how do we hold people accountable. Um, you know, it's it's echoed. Don talked about it. Abraham, Marnet, we've all talked about accountability, right? And <clears throat> I think also it was talked about whenever people that are in power, or that white folks that have the positions in the industry. Um, or just an advocate. They ask us as black people, what should I do? There are very few fucking times I want to hear that question. I'm just going to be real. There are very few times I want to hear a white person ask me what I should do. Because I just want to be like, Google that shit. There's plenty of resources out there for you to figure out what you should do. But at the same time, uh, what I say is, value your look at the difference between an asset and a resource. And that People are going to treat you, and you know, Marnay knows that I've talked to her about this too because it's something that's really passionate about the way I connect with people just on a professional level and personal is people will treat you like a resource where they will take something from you in an exchange for something that they've given to you, whether it had been a request or money or whatever. Sometimes that's cool, but sometimes that's not what you want, especially if you're trying to be a minority being in the industry. You don't want to be a resource to a corporation that's trying to get through the door and then be pushed off to the side. You want to be treated like an asset. So mm -hmm. people, when people want you as an asset, they think about what they want to give you. You don't have to ask them. They, they're thinking about it. You know, you have mm -hmm. a man in the marketplace and he runs a fruit stand and he sees somebody that comes up and he sees that he has opportunity with this, uh, this potential buyer of whatever his goods are. If he values that person deeply, he sees them as an asset. He's going to be getting them whatever they need for the service because he knows that they are providing reciprocally for him something that he can give them in exchange. And this is the problem that, that white people have in the corporate industry is they think that we want handouts or that we need, that they are above 
us in some way to be giving this down the line to those that are less uh, fortunate. But that's not what's happening here is that they have to reconfigure their mindset to say, no, bro, these are the people you should have been thinking of as an asset. So I don't have to ask, what do you do to the people that value as an asset? You know, so I have, I was in one of these clubhouse rooms and I didn't know I was going to be on a shark tank. And these millionaire dudes started asking me like, well, because I was getting passionate about social equity, just like this. And he's like, well, what can I do? And I said, well, ask that question less and look for more or look for your own assets that you would offer to someone if you valued them. What would you want to give me? You know, if you thought that I was going to be a member of your team or that I was going to bring you up in the world. So <clears throat> whenever we talk about uh, what we need to do to change these things, a lot of it is emancipating these mental slaveries on both sides that say that this person, uh, oh, fuck, I just lost my train of thought. I was almost done, too. This is the end of it. But the, the main part is that you got these people that are in these positions that uh, have the opportunity to uh, change that. That's what it is. It's a mindset shift, right? Just the same as we think that social equity has to do with just uh, getting out the, the, the dollars or the, the resources in the right way. But we're, we're also, uh, we have to keep on the table that social equity is also generational wealth built through mental health. And that if we cannot propagate healthy experiences and healthy mindsets for our black and minority owners that are trying to come up uh, to emancipate that mental slavery, this is Bob Marley that I'm paraphrasing, by the way, we won't, they, that, they won't be able to free their minds. And if we cannot get the corporate heads to emancipate themselves from this, this fucking, it's not really slavery, it's a privilege where they think that their idea is to be giving resources as opposed to finding assets. That's what it comes down to, is that the industry has to be looking for assets as opposed to thinking that they're supposed to be giving out resources. And yeah, that's kind of how I'm going to leave it. So I just want to say, I'm, we're going to, we're, I, that was beautiful, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, I, I, <laughs> unbelievably well said. And well said. He heavily packed. Yes. I just want to say about the calling people in piece of that original question is that we have to do it over and over again. And that hurts a lot of pride. Trust when I say that. I don't want to come back to somebody who I feel maybe was, I don't know, uh, too forward with me. Uh, too aggressive with me, I would say, let's stop putting the word aggressive on women. We are assertive. And um, but anyway, but the point is, is that we still have to reach out again and again, because the fact of the matter is, is that we do wear this uniform, whether we want to or not, as as do black Americans, black people in this world. And we have to accept the responsibility that comes with that. And that responsibility is that we have a history of not being very trustworthy when we say we want to help somebody who doesn't look like us. It, it, it you know, so we, 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 it, the onus is on us to prove it. Now, I don't want to leave this conversation in a negative light. So uh, I, I, I'd like to, uh, like, again, I, I think that the, the, the line running through all of this from what you asked Brennan to, to how you just responded there is the same. And what I think, uh, 
we can all relate to. I heard Brennan quote him a couple of times. I think everybody knows who Bob Marley is. And at the end of the day, whether he was uh, the best father or the best man or the best musician doesn't matter. What he taught me more than anything was there's really only one true solution and it's love. And so when somebody comes at you hard, give them a hug, ask them why, understand with that love how we can solve their problem, not reflect my feelings towards your problem, but how can I care about your problem? So I hear this line come through everybody and I know you all personally on some level or another, and I know there's real love in there. So I have two questions um, left. Sorry, sorry, Marnay. Um, I am going to give you another an opportunity to speak and make uh, your point. But I have two questions um, that I want everybody to think about. And, and the last question is the one that we would like to kind of wrap up the show on. And um, so uh, before and then um, and then Marnay has got the floor. Um, but one of the questions from our comment section that was asked uh, a, a little bit ago, but I wanted to address is, uh, do they put minorities in charge of implementing any social justice programs in cannabis in states that have such programs? Because that would be the place to start, right? So I can speak to that. I mean, I'm on a board right now in development in Pennsylvania that has a member from Massachusetts, a black woman who wrote the first social equity, uh, some of the first social equity bills on legislation. And that's where we get this ideology. So I, I don't want white people to feel attacked or alone. Black people don't know what they don't know. So we don't understand how to fix a problem. We can't possibly put our brains around, but we feel. So we're trying to dig ourselves out. And I think what everybody has said the same way is what we expect from the organization of people as an organization who spent hundreds and hundreds of years oppressing and systemically holding down a group to show that same level of effort as an organization in reinvesting in that group. And that's what I, you know, again, I think there's there's a lot of positivity and understanding that we can approach that with love and support from both sides. Mm-hmm. Marnie. Okay, so um, I first want to say thank you, Jason. That was a great uh, synopsis of everything. Um, I just, just being very truthful and honest, like I'm a 29-year-old black woman in America. And I have taken on the role well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I have taken on the role and responsibility of, quote unquote, being the voice of black people. Um, and as you know, as even Jason stated, like that wasn't a position that I started off and like I am, you know, stepping into it. No, I came in trying to create um, general wealth for myself and my family. And inside of me knowing that I had the tools and I had the resources in my basket, like I didn't need to come to, you know, white investors. I didn't need to utilize these tiers that were just, you know, kind of handicapped put in place for us. So I have the luxury and the safety net of saying what I want, when I want, how I want, because there is no control or need 
need of me to want something in return. When we talk about being politically correct or, you know, talking in, in a vernacular that just makes you seem as though you, you know, you went to Harvard, it all, it all sounds great. The thing is, is that there's a problem when you can't accept the Ebonics or, you know, the vernacular from someone that you have not been accustomed to living around or with. So I spent you know, the last two years, just in this, the last two years, figuring out how I can be a little more approachable, how I can be a little less aggressive inside of the, the advocation for my people. And I have came to a conclusion that, and Farrah, you summed this up perfectly fine, you know, for me, inside of your quote is saying, you know, and I can't paraphrase it well, but basically, if these people are offended off of this advocation and how passionate I am about it, I can no longer try to diminish, you know, or alleviate the passion that I have to make you feel comfortable. One thing that I can say is that, and I don't like to, you know, even use this across the board with people because where there is age, you know, comes wisdom and experiences and everything else. But if you can look at yourself every day and feel like you have given all that you can for the community and for yourself, then job well done. But if you if you can take a second and say, you know what, I may have did something wrong and I genuinely want to move forward from that, then that's also a job well done. Um, I didn't want to come on here, you know, to pinpoint out every single personal issue that was made. But I must say one thing, when we choose to be leaders, we cannot allow our personal feelings to trickle into the professionalism that we deem ourselves to have. Um, we're all we're all not going to sound the same. We're all not going to react the same. I can say that I am learning and unlearning a lot along the way. This is um, the first time I've had to work with so a, a different background and variety of people. And I take I take your comments, I take your remarks, I take your reviews, and I compartmentalize them, and I break down where I went wrong. Um, and I will say this to Corinne. I want to apologize because you gave me an opportunity that, for one, I didn't even think I I had the skills and, you know, the the substance inside of me to even accomplish that. And I want to say that I, you know, I spoke at my first cannabis conference that you put together. Um, and, and although we may not have, you know, we don't see eye to eye inside of certain, you know, um, parts of this, I will say that I know that you work very hard to create opportunities in Missouri, and I would never want to discredit the hard work that you put into because I know how I feel when people discredit me. So um, I personally uh, 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 wait. Uh, Go ahead. Huge. I just got to acknowledge how incredibly huge, whether anybody else in the room does or not. I want to say what was just said was off the charts and, and let Corinne respond. Sorry. I think I might cry. Um, I think you're. I think you're amazing and brilliant, and I think that we could do amazing things together if we, we can will. Put our personal we, we differences will. aside, and it means the world to me that you would say that. So thank you.
Yes. And um, look, y'all gonna get me all emotional. Yeah, I know I'm a crack. <laughs> um, I definitely want to apologize. I am learning every day to um to not only I mean, yes, to create the problem, but to also have the solutions ready for them. Just know I have a ton of solutions, um, but I also have a ton of things that we all do, y'all. Um I no longer want to use my platform to to out for what's I want to be controversial, but I am not here to Please. tear down and break down people and their spirits. That definitely is not what my goal is. So moving Look, forward, um, I I want to do great, and I, I I'm done. Mar Marnay just uh, stole my thunder a little bit because uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna end this. I I first of all I want to say I misspoke when I said negative. I don't think any of this has been negative at all. I think we can all agree that this has been a very amazing conversation, and and I've learned so much from it as well. Um, but. I do want to do what we say we do at the cannabis closet. The cannabis closet, we are going to ruffle some feathers. We're going to make some people feel uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about the problems that are actually happening within the cannabis industry, real life, in real life, in real time. And then we're going to talk about who's doing it right, because we are not here to disparage the legal cannabis industry. We need the legal cannabis industry. We need safe access to this amazing medicine for everybody. And it has to be fully accessible. So I want to pass it to my co-host, Megan, to talk about who is doing it right. Who's doing it right? Oh, uh, we were actually talking about, um, oh, I, the name is... Uh, the award the g the good the cannabis good uh citizen award is something like that in denver is well, it's denver and cure leaf in missouri um both missouri. won awards from um please let me take my time to find my notes i'm so sorry <laughs> you're okay um, but i just want to say thank you everyone for putting you know starting this uh uncomfortable conversation and uh maybe we can even talk about you know doing an episode of the solutions since we didn't get to start touching on those um we do want to end with you guys kind of just reminding us who you are your organizations um and uh and what you're doing we want to also we'll be putting all of your bios and links onto um, our social media and platforms so that um everyone that's listening and, and tuning in later can find you all um, and uh, you know, continue these conversations, building these bridges, repairing these bridges. Um, it's been uh, just amazing to listen in. I know I'm, I'm always a sit back and listen. So uh, Fair and I are, you know, that's why we're this team too. Uh, I have my notes. Um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm Cannabis Doing Good Award in uh there's one in Denver and the change maker award. Yes. Yeah, so the Terrapin station, they have a, you know, without, you know, they're leading um, this award was, I guess is presented to them. What they have done is to, uh, create programs for anti-racism within and the education to go behind it. They weren't, um, uh, you know, waiting for this social equity, uh, platform to happen in, in the state, they went ahead and created programs to start addressing the issues. Um, and then also they mentioned Curaleaf, they were also an award winner um, for their programs in um, across the different uh, states that they're in. And um, 
what they're doing to, again, start those conversations, back those programs and really put the words, not just, you know, it's not just lip service. Sorry, my dog is behind me playing and I can't mute her. So, um, <laughs> um, so we, we thought that was pretty awesome. It popped up right before we were, um, you know, getting ready to uh, start the show. And um, yeah, so that's and, uh, Connecticut has uh, got a new, uh, they've, created a task force in Connecticut. The governor of Connecticut created a task force uh, with recommendations on how to legalize cannabis with an eye towards social justice uh, communities for the communities most harmed by prohibition. Um, and they have some, some rules here that at least 67% of the ownership has to be by individuals who meet at least two of these criteria. Those who have been arrested over a cannabis related offense or those with an immediate family member who's been arrested over a cannabis-related offense, uh, those with an annual income lower than 150 percent, and uh, median wage, and those from communities most harmed by prohibition and the war on drugs, according to equity studies in the state. So Connecticut is also trying to put into place some uh, some programs and implement these programs. Let's see if they see if they take off. Jason, you mentioned Chicago. Yeah, I mean, or or I think it was Evans, but I'm not sure. There was a um, an alderman or, or mayor of a city, Illinois. What I'll say is Illinois, like California, parts of Illinois are starting to see funds come out of uh, the legal cannabis industry. Everybody's heard those articles or read those articles where this state's hit a billion dollars of sales or this state's hit a billion dollars of sales. Well, some of those early on promises are are just starting to come to fruition and Illinois, they're starting to distribute some money towards uh, reinvestment in those marginalized communities we were talking about earlier. And the same in Oakland. Again, I've seen um, in California money start to get allotted and then reissued into communities to, to educate uh people of color specifically and those communities that were affected greatest. And that includes people, as my own opinion, that includes anybody who has any sort of charge. The idea that those of us that had the intellect to be ahead of the curve when it came to the legalization of plant medicine and got caught by somebody else's bullshit and now have to be excluded from being profitable in that market is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. So I will continue to fight for People with a, any sort of plant-based charge should just be automatically moved to the front of said line. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I don't care what color you are. If you were smart enough to know about plant medicine beforehand, come with me and the rest of the people who were persecuted for some bullshit and get in this line. And yeah. you deserve rewards first for having suffered greater than people who were born into the same privilege and had access. I will say for Illinois, uh, I'm I'm impressed. I'm surprised that they're even talking about this because in the beginning of their legislation, patients couldn't even have a record. Patients, so that excluded entire communities. Jersey, again, same, and and I'd say that we have to be as a voice in our communities those voices who are asking those uncomfortable questions and statements. And you then, know? can you speak on what Oakland is doing? Um, there is some workforce development. So again, we're talking about 
you know, we, we talk about access to the industry. It's not just at low level for bud tenders, but we need to understand and develop financial literacy as business owners. There's reasons why in the system that we have been neglected or or, or can't access creating our own businesses in a community as black owned businesses or brown owned businesses. And that's not just because we're lazy and we don't want to. It's it's because we don't have access to finances or we don't understand the access to business development or we don't understand profit development in our own neighborhoods and how that affects uh, generation after generation and what wealth building really is. So that needs direct investment and that has to come out of the industry today. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about what is deserved of a conversation for a, a, a group of people who were suffered the most, prioritize them. And I, I don't know how else to say this. I don't think white people are going to suffer in business success to prioritize brown people, the populace that is only 13% of its country, right? Like, but it will, it will make everybody at the table feel better about that opportunity if you acknowledge and then move forward. One of the most amazing things I think I ever uh, felt personally in understanding c colonialism, and I'll leave it with this, was I spent some time in Australia, and they as a government annually atone for their government's atrocities. They have a, an atonement day, parades, thoughtfulness. The, the idea that America would ever atone, let alone rewrite history, considering slavery and the revolution or the Civil War, that they would ever atone for its establishment and systemic propaganda and oppression is, is a hopeful thought for me. And I think it takes our voice to continue to expect that from better people who know that humanity is humanity. It doesn't matter what fucking color they are. We're the same. And plants are plants. And we, we're better than this. And we have to do better. Thank you all. Thank you. Yes. So um, I'm going to do some, uh, uh, let you guys come in with some final thoughts. I'm going to start at the bottom of what I can see and final thoughts and make sure you plug yourself and tell us where we can find you on social media. Brennan, go ahead, go first. I, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I got this. I told you I got this new headset, and I'm just trying to figure it out. Um, and now I'm high. I was getting high as we. I was talking earlier. Yeah, perfect, perfect place to um, be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name is Brendland. Um, I run the St. Louis Cannabis Club, which is a cannabis resource network for experiences in wellness, education, and entertainment uh, for the cannabis culture, as well as a spot to do that, the Cola, where buds meet. Uh, Missouri's first private cannabis lounge. Um, I have had the joy of having most of you on the stage up there. For those of you who haven't been, you'll have to come and check it out for sure. Definitely do. Um, Highly recommend yeah, it. Yes. I can't wait to come back for real. Mm -hmm. Same. 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 It was a lot, yes. was a lot of yes. fun for sure. Fuck yeah. So my only closing thought uh, would be um, I don't know. I think that everything is on par with like what prophetically should be happening uh, with what this plant is sent to this planet to do. You know, the goddess Sashet 
she sent uh, from the two dog star uh, sent cannabis here, which that is cannabis. Cannabis is two dog. Uh, sent the, this plant here uh, into the sacred fertile crescent of Kemet, the uh, black original black Egyptian city uh, pre-Persian takeover. Um, and she, she sent this here to reconfigure our fucked up heads and bring us back into a space where we could nourish this planet um, in a balanced masculine and feminine divine way again. Um, and, you know, every one of the people in this room is, a, is an example of that coming to fruition. That, uh, this plant is coming into us to heal our minds and to heal our spirits and to heal our culture, you know. And so I just leave that as an affirmation uh, that I see it happening in real time. And uh, the ancients, they see it, too. Thank you so much. Marnay, can you uh, leave us with your final thoughts and where we can find you and tell us everything? Awesome, awesome. So thank you guys very much, Farrah and Megan, for uh, putting on this awesome show. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I am the queen of terpenes. Um, Facebook, Marnay Madison, as well as me and Don's awesome Floor Vert Academy and Telehealth Clinic. We are the first and only black women on an operating medical cannabis clinic in the state of Missouri. Come get your card from us because our doctor is black, our advocate is black, and we are black and awesome. So, And it's um, telemedicine, so you can do it from anywhere, right? That's right. You can do it right from your phone. And we right, are so everybody in Missouri needs to be using y'all. Absolutely. Hey, Jason, put a stamp on it. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that um, I've definitely been very vulnerable today, very honest and open about my, you know, my wanting to work and move forward. I really hope that it is received well and the intent is put out there. Um, the clock is now ticking. Um, I am who I am, so everything won't change. Um, so let's hold each other accountable and move forward copacetically in a great manner. And thank you guys again. Thank you so much. Dawn? Are you muted? Hey, everybody. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I should be unmuted now. Okay, yes. so I am Dawn the Cannabis Advocate on Instagram. Um, Facebook is Dawn the Canna Advocate um, because my name is Dawn in Abernathy, but there's two pages that have that name that are mine, but the one that has my actual face um, is actually the one that I'm usually on. Um, thank you all for inviting me. I was, I've been blessed to be able to meet the people that I met in the exchanges I've had in the cannabis industry, I found good friends, awesome business partner. Um, but it's awesome to be able to be a part of this conversation and get us moving forward in a better way. Um, I'm at Florida Academy's uh, telehealth clinic. Like Marnay said, um, everything about the process, I try to walk patients through and give them all the specific details. I'm a patient all day long. As you all saw, I'm a car carrying patient, so I medicate. Um, so that way we are able to, you know, give every step informed to each patient. I'm all about informed medicine and healthcare. Um, I do help out patients when it comes to just understanding their healthcare and if it's an insurance policy you got from your employer, anything like that. I even go to appointments with my patients depending on our needs. So 
I try to, you know, teach other people to do the same thing I do. That's the one thing I really want to do. Find other people to do the same thing I do and us grow together. Beautiful. Thank That's you so much. Super high full service Rock. right there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. I kind of wish I lived in Missouri right now. For real. <laughs> Compared to some of the other patient uh, access that I've seen in the country, that you, these ladies are doing big, big things. Right. Right. Uh, Abrama, can you tell um, us where to find you? And uh, final thoughts, too. Sorry. Um, yeah, so my name's Abrama Keys. You can find me on Facebook. I'm not really on Instagram like that. Um, you can also follow um, Greater St. Louis Normal page or my weekend page um, where I post a lot of information about just educational events, community, social networking events, um, things like Shameless Plug. We have a golf tournament coming up on Please April do plug 17th. That. Yes, thank you. Um, yes, and I'll be hosting along with Marnay um, in Illinois. So we're definitely expanding and doing a lot of great things. So check out the page. Um, follow that. I'm just super excited about having this conversation today. Um, just like I said, um, a lot of people said the conversation is not easy for anybody. Um, I think if anybody knows that more than anybody else, it's probably Marnay because she is always screaming it from the mountaintops and you know it, it's a difficult position to take and so to have a platform like this even where it can be you know discussed and kind of everyone be able to get their points across and their ideas out there and that we can share over and over again and use the whole not only ourselves but everyone on this conversation kind of accountable moving forward I'm definitely excited to see what it does absolutely thank you so much can a convict project christina and chris final thoughts and tell us tell us all about you where to find you well thank you again for having us on the show it's been um very meaningful and very educational in a lot of different ways i learned a, a lot tonight so thank you all for participating um so we are the Canna Convict Project. We're trying to get our nonviolent cannabis POWs home to their families. And you can find us, uh, we're primarily on Facebook and he's working on an Instagram. And we just recently had our website launched. So it's, um, it's an, it's, I need to edit it a little bit, but you can check us out on <laughs> cannaconvictproject.com too. And um, my main takeaway was what I said earlier, just like, Thank you for it being so informative and it's been very spirited and um, I, I'm happy to see where we all go from here. <laughs> I, I'm Chris Smith. I'm the I'm Canna Convict Project as well, but I'm also the Missouri Cannabis Industry Photographer and I'm going to continue to, to advocate for the entire community. I, I would love to know when your guys' events are uh, that, that I don't know about. A lot of times I don't know about the events, but I would love to be way more involved. I'd love to, you know, really blow this up and just make it such big news that everybody you know, has to pay attention to it. Um, you know, I, I will reach out to y'all as much as, you know, as much as I can, but we really, you know, we really need the community's help. Um, so if, you know, anybody out there, if any of you guys or anybody know anything right offhand, please send everybody uh, our way and we will definitely touch base with you and try to, you know, see how we can further uh, uh, communicate with the community and really, you know, get the word out there. So we're representing everybody fairly. And, you know, I think that's going to help out a lot. Um, it's seemingly spreading across the nation, but we need to get a lot more people out because we know that 
you know, a good percent of the people that are arrested for for drug crimes are black. Uh, you know, uh, like fifteen percent above that are, are another minority, and then everybody else is white. And so, there, by far, uh, there's a huge issue here. Let's get our let's get everybody out of jail. Uh, tell us who you know. Tell us who they are. You know, help us out, and you know, we'll reach out. You reach out to us. Let's, let's, together, let's do this together. Don't worry, that list is coming. Yeah, right. just a reminder to everybody that's listening. Um, the, the absolutely need community support because the DOJ doesn't, sometimes these individuals are not on a list where they can find them. Even if you're looking for them, looking them up by name, you cannot find these individuals. So definitely need community help and support in that area. And, uh, we look forward to having more conversations like this with the Canna Convict Project for sure. Uh, Corinne, oh, go ahead. Canaconvictproject.com. Uh, if you you know if you know anybody, reach out to us uh, or canaconvictproject at gmail.com is our email. Canaconvictproject at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. Corinne, any I'm final Corinne. thoughts? Yeah, I'm Corinne Spinkschester. You can find me there. Facebook, that's my name. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm Mary Jane Moxie. Um, I'm really glad that I was here tonight. I was a little bit terrified, to be honest with you. So. Um, but I'm really glad. I feel like we can find some solutions and we can move together and uh, we can move forward together and make some real change. So I'm really, really excited about the possibilities of being able to do that. Thank you. Jason, any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I want to thank uh, really everybody. I want to thank everybody personally from deep in my heart. Um, I, I see and watch, you know, I, I'm passionate about this plant. It has changed my life. I've seen it change so many others, but I see and I'm watching y'all and, and it inspires me. And, and it started the day I met Megan and, and, and how she's not just connected to the plant medicinally herself, but she's here to serve the world in that capacity and whatever it takes from her, she gives and and then you know the, her connecting me to Farah and and I've just been so blessed in this community that continues to grow. So I mean I, I'm just grateful to be part of this. I don't want anybody to hesitate, anybody to hesitate to ever reach out to me personally uh, or professionally. And if there's anything I can ever do, I'm at your service. Um, and I'm coming. Like, like I said, this is we started the conversation now. It ain't ending now. No, not at all. Megan, any final thoughts for us? Um, yes, uh, my internet went out, so I didn't get to uh, hear your parting thoughts, Jay. But um, I was just thinking as at this point, though, if we want to have be an accountability group here just to say, yeah, uh, touch and base. Have we gotten this information? Uh, you know, let's just do a little follow up there. So um, I think even uh, if we the discord or whatever else you do, Farah, where we can get into groups like that, where we can continue real conversations like this. And, um, you know, maybe that, uh, you know, again, holding each other accountable. Uh, we're here to start those conversations. We want to have a solutions episode. And um, at least I would like to. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, just thank you again all so much for um, your input, your knowledge, your passion for this plant. Um, and, uh, and yeah. Um, also visit Dr. B's Mountain Clinics if you're in Colorado. That's what I'm doing, telemedicine uh, as well, uh, clinics and helping patients go through the state process. Um, 
and we like to do the education and uh, just so thankful that Farah uh, brought me in on this platform with her as her partner to do this so that I could uh, get off my individual soapbox and um, start reaching more people as well. So uh, yeah, thanks guys. Love you all so much. This has been amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my final imparting thoughts, first of all, you can find us the cannabis closet on YouTube, the WeTube, Facebook, Twitch, TikTok, and Instagram. We just got on Spotify and Google podcast right now. We're on pocket cast as well. So we're building our platform. Um, so you can find us on all of those platforms and you can find those links in my bios. Canna Queen DGO is where I am everywhere I go. Canna Queen DGO everywhere I go. You can find me on those platforms. Don't forget that we are absolutely having a raffle to raise money for the Cannabis Closet podcast. Uh, the raffle includes a Focus V Carta, which is valued at $250 and resin art by yours truly, including rolling trays, ashtrays and other accessories that we like to use as stoners. Uh, we'll have some Canna Queen apparel as well as Cannabis Closet apparel in that ra in that uh, raffle as well. It's one big gift pack and it's well worth the chance uh, on that $25 a ticket. You can buy those tickets on our cash app, dollar sign Cannabis Closet 420 or on our PayPal Cannabis Closet 420 at gmail.com which is also where you can reach us to send us emails if you have any show ideas, anything that you would like for us to explore or guests that you might want to see on. We'll try to get them on. Uh, our next show is on March 8th. And some of the beautiful women you see here have been invited back for our March 8th show. It is International Women's Day. We are going to be talking to women in cannabis. It's going to be a fun show. I look forward to it. Uh, and, um, thank you all for coming on and having this discussion. I know that it's never an easy discussion to have, um, but I'm always willing to have it. I'm always willing to learn more. And I feel like the people that we've invited on this panel, uh, feel the same way that I do. Um, the onus is on us. And so, we're, we're going to take that and use our privilege to do uh, better. And we are going to follow up with all of you. So, so we're going to hold you accountable. Remember that accountability is not an attack. We just, we got to hold people accountable for what's going on. It's definitely not an attack on you personally, but we, we are, we're going to do that. It's 2021. It's, it's no more time for excuses, right? We're going to do this right. And we're going to do it right in Missouri. And the reason we're going to do it right in Missouri is because we want Missouri to be, the the uh, the example that the nation uses for social equity. That's what we want to see. That's that's going to be the end result of people coming on here and and having a voice and and speaking to what's really going on. Um, I want to yeah. thank everybody. Go you ahead. Can't let Oklahoma beat you in Missouri, right? No, you can't do that. You, you better, definitely better. cannot do that. But I, um, I, as, as the brown representative in the room, I, I wanted to uh, thank all the white people, especially for being so brave. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, there were more white people invited to this conversation, and not all of them are as brave as you. So I'm gonna speak directly to that. That yes. you are to be commended as humans as in this fight with us, as plant advocates, as patient advocates, as, but as white people in this fight, 
you are brave as fuck and you deserve to be recommended for that. Absolutely. We have a unique voice and we really want to uh, help do whatever we can because this, this is a, it's been a long time coming and we need to finally actually do something about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you all. Uh, my, my final parting thoughts as always to everybody, be nice to yourselves, be nice to yourselves. Don't be so hard on yourselves and uh, stay lifted everybody. And thank you all for joining us. Thanks to our listeners for sticking with us for this long broadcast. Uh, we, we felt it was important to make sure that everybody's voice was heard and we didn't want to cut anybody off. So thank you for sticking with us and we will see you next time. March 8th, we have international women's day episodes. So join us here for some brilliant voices of women in cannabis. We look forward to that show. Stay lifted everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you.